just like that, we're back and getting set for UFC 295. Prohashka taking on Tashira, a big time card. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get, get into, into it. it. And we are back in action, getting set for UFC 95. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, one half of your hosting duo, Craig Allen X. And Instagram at Craig Allen FNP with me to my left here, right? Respective socials, Scotty Burns. It's oh, Matt so Allen good. at Matt Allen FNP. And Matt, I mean, when we look at this card, two title fights up at the top. It was announced on very, very late notice. It was October, near the end. Dana White coming out and saying that John Jones is injured himself in training with Dante Mays and out is Jones versus Miocic so all of a sudden from the co-main event to the main event Prohashka looking to win back the title that was his against one Alex Pereira Pereira from 2019 to 2023 this is a shot at a fourth title belt in two major promotions in two sports. A newly so, minted Hall of Famer. It's absolutely wild. Alex Pereira to the Glory Hall of Fame this past weekend. Prohashka back after the crazy, crazy shoulder woes that have kept him sidelined since he was due at UFC 282 last year. The co-main event, Sergey Pavlovich Ooh. seemed like he was getting ready to be the alternate for that heavyweight title fight. Now Pavlovich going to be taking on Tom Aspinall. And for Aspinall's credit, I mean, he's got so many different layers to his game. They both really do, but you really do see a lot of finishes. Nine combined performance bonuses in that co-main event in their respective UFC fights. A lot of prospects on this card, a lot of second times out, and only one rookie debut, that of Peru's Kevin Borjas. And we mentioned it the last time we did a breakdown for one of these pay-per-views. It is unfortunate that we've had two kind of rescheduled, very important co-main event, main event fights so recently, but what does the UFC do better than pretty much anybody? They're going to put together an interesting fight on short notice, and i got to tell you, I'm excited for this Sergey Pavlovich versus Tom Aspinall fight. It's a fight that we're probably going to get anyways, right? Because both guys are so good, and if you stay around in the top 10 for long enough, Derek Lewis has proven it, right? You're going to fight everybody and start to lose to quite a few. But I'm really excited for that match. And I think that's a great fight to get thrown together on short notice. Is it the greatest heavyweight of all time versus arguably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time? Okay, maybe not. But it's two guys you could see maybe not reach those types of ceilings. But whoever wins this title could hold on to it for a very long time. Very well could. Ten total ranked fighters on this card. And Matt, when we do look at the overall landscape of 2023... I've been going with the underdogs through the last couple of cards. And listen, you're still ahead by That's one sad. pick. We tied last week. We've been absolutely on a heater. Retirement talk. It makes pressure mad. And what does pressure mean? We're like David Ortiz that last season where he just blasted doubles every at bat. Making diamonds. So listen, Matt, we're hanging around till UFC 296. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Question mark kicks. Listen, if there was one major takeaway from last weekend, if you f***ing steal copper out of the five wires you're gonna get yourself in some trouble and ultimately question mark kicks it ended up getting screwed up because some people decided to do some illegal stuff so hopefully this week question mark kicks it goes off without a hitch but you can find us here on the channel two hours before to go over the week that was and last week it was a big deal because we had a lot of exactly. different weight misses and ultimately it ended up being a pretty cool card so make sure you tune in for that you can always find us at fight night picks x and instagram as well you're gonna want to keep it locked in with fight night picks we always say let's, let's get into it, it. 
featherweights looking to kick things off in New York City. We have the hometown guy. It's Dennis the Great Bazookia looking for UFC win number one against the former RFA title challenger. I'm talking about Jamal Emerson. Matt, this is a fight that if you've been a long time fighting Apex fan, going back to like 2018, you know that I can get amped up about a Jamal Emerson fight, specifically. Taking on a guy like Dennis Bazookia. Dennis Bazookia is a fighter that MMA fans, they knew and they loved since what? Dana White's Contender Series, what, 2020 when he took on Melzik Bogdazarian. Loses that fight, wins a bunch of fights on the regional scene, comes back on Contender Series 2022. He gets a win on the season. But unfortunately for him against Kaleo Romero, he wasn't Joe Pfeiffer. That was week one of Contender Series last year. Bazooki gets a win, doesn't get a contract. Alessandro Costa on this card gets a win, doesn't get a contract. Not from Pennsylvania, close by though. But for Bazookia, he doesn't get it done. So what does he have to do? What does the guy do when he's down on his luck? Well, just like Joshua Dobbs, he gets to bounce around, wow. fight with every different organization under the sun. Bazookia strings together three wins. He gets a short notice spot. He's the fourth guy to answer the phone against Sean Woodson not that long ago. Bazookia goes out there and rewarded for his efforts. He was outstruck 163 yeah. to 46, and he lost on all three judges' scorecards to the tune of 30-27. So for Bazookia, a full camp to get ready for an opponent. You get to get ready for another really long, rangy striker in this division. And when you look at a guy like Jamal Emers, we talked about this at length. He was a guy years ago that we always used to make an example of. Who's the most well-rounded guy that comes to mind? And listen, it was tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Jamal Emers. Exactly. It really was for me. He's good at grappling offensively. He's good defensively. But vice versa with his striking. And does he have some losses that you look at? I struggle with that. And you go, okay, well, the Julian Rosa fight knocks him down in the first round. Yeah, Chumba won, but in the second round. He gets knocked down. He doesn't get back up again. And you look at the losses in the UFC. Jamal Emers has fought a high-level competition. Sure. And the guys that he's lost to, apart from the one loss, they've been pretty darn close fights. And for Emers, the other big thing about this... He's been matched up with some big fighters, and those fights have fallen out. I look at fights against Timur Valiev when he was close to the height of his powers. Now, you could say, well, in World Series, he was there. Yeah, I'd agree with you, but a fight with Valiev was on the table, and also a fight against Mavzari Vloyev. So, for Emers, he had a long layoff at one point. He obviously got really hurt in the exactly. Pat Sabatini fight where the heel hook took his leg home with him. And Michael Bisping right after that was like, yeah, that's a long recovery time. You're darn tootin' it was. But for Emers, the last couple of fights, one against allegedly a bad guy, Hussein Ashkabov. He absolutely dusted that young buck. And then his next timeout, which was his last timeout, and I'll throw the picture up there on the decision mat against Jack Jenkins. That was one of the worst decisions of this year. It's a split decision loss for Jamal Emers. I did think that he did enough to win two of the three rounds, but ultimately he ends up picking up a loss in that fight. So now, Emmer's at 34. He's a gatekeeper to the 26-year-old Dennis Bazookia. And I'll be interested to see what you think of this fight because the last time I talked about Dennis Bazookia in his debut... I was alone in August, Matt, wearing a Charlie Montoya jersey. This is my big thing about Bazooka, what he's going to really have to do well in this fight. When he uses his jab and that right front kick to his effectiveness, he can do a really good job of striking behind those two black lines. And I know that's not something we say often, right? Normally, that's the thing you never want to see people do. Get your back off the cage. But he can do a good job of moving his feet when he is able to land some of those longer range strikes down the middle. And that's what I do really like out of Bazooka. I love that front kick to the, or yeah, the front kick from the right side to the midside 
section. It does a really good job, and it's not only an attack to keep distance, it does seem to damage the opponent as well. It does kind of remind me of that Tony Ferguson-esque kick, and I think that's going to be a weapon that's really important, and that's kind of a question that I've really been sitting on and thinking about a lot when it comes to this fight. If he does try to use those kicks to maintain that distance, just stay away from a guy like Emers, who, again, not only is so well-rounded, but has those takedowns too. Do you think Emers is going to go to just try to catch those kicks and go for early takedowns? Because at least in my mind, I think we are going to see a more wrestling-heavy version of Emers, at least early in this fight, to try to close that distance and make it easier to land strikes as the fight goes on. Well, I mean, Bazooki's a well-rounded guy. He's a brown belt karate sure. that is the basis to it, but when you watch a lot of these Bazookia fights, and I went back, I watched his fight against Solsan Abanakov over there with uh, CFFC, his fight against Valerio, who is out of, uh, I believe it was the Philippines, over with UAE Warriors. In these fights, it's a lot of Rock'em Sock'em from a guy like Bazookia. And it really is a tale of his opponents going with long, rangy straight shots, him kind of meeting them with the hooks, closing the distance. Bazookia, he's well-rounded enough. He has decent wrestling, but when it does come down to it, even in the fight against Valerio, I'm watching it. Valerio, popping the jab out there. Bazookia, meeting it with his face. He's got a bloody nose, and then all of a sudden, he just bites down in the mouthpiece, and he ends up finishing his opponent. And that's what really is concerning when you watch the tape. I agree with you 100%. I guess I probably should have mentioned that, not just mentioned the long-range striking, but that's the frustrating thing. When he does decide to be disciplined with the striking, I think he can have great success, and even in a matchup like this, I think he could do a great job. But his tendency to take that half a step too far into the pocket and allow himself to get hit by some of those big shots, like, Jamal Emmers lost that fight against Pat Sabatini, right? We all remember the injury. He also blasted Sabatini with a pretty big shot and had him hurt early on. Well, Matt, it's not, hold on. It's not just any shot. He hit him with that big March well, Simpson exactly. Uppercut. And that's the thing about Emmers. I... I I feel like every time we do mention Emmers, and it is the truth, right? He is so well-rounded, that's the thing you have to mention. But there are a few things that stand out, like the power when he is able to land some of those shots. And if Bazooki is not able to use his footwork, and if he does have a tendency to walk into the pocket, not only is it going to make him more susceptible to fight off some of those takedown attempts, and I think that's going to be difficult for him to do, at least sustain that throughout a lot of this fight. Because if Emmers does decide to wrestle a lot early, I think that is going to take a little bit of the pep out of Bazooki's step. And if that's the case, it'll probably make him tend to brawl a little bit more. Well, the hometown guy going to be Dennis Bazookia training out of Longo and Weidman MMA over there in Long Island and the last time that he even fought close to the New York area it was back when he was a ranked combat champ in 2019-2020 thereabouts over in Atlantic City New Jersey a lot of different guys with ring of combat experience on this card and three fighters out of that big time gym you got Bazookia you get Sadikov and you also have the knockout artist, Matt, Matt Frivolo, who's got wow. a big fight on this card. We you know Chris Weidman's getting a shout-out in the crowd this weekend, and you know? And there's going to be, like, a long tier. Frankie Edgar. I'm just trying to think about, like, other classic New York fighters. If you do look at this matchup, Matt, Dennis Bazookia, the underdog, yeah. he opened as such. He's still there. If you look at it for Jamal Emmer's favorite to about a 3-1 to one clip, we have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us, they are to you. I'm going to say, just based on seeing the odds there, over under 75% Emmer's. I'll say over. I'm going to say over. Oh my goodness. 1,037 total votes. 76% Emmers. 86% by decision. And again, the last time I did a Bazooka video, I was all on my lonesome. But going back and watching some of these Bazooka fights, you didn't see the second round against Romero. He struggles a little bit with the takedowns, but he's able to overcome. He's able to finish strong, get the, t uh, get the, the things done. In order to get the win, obviously it wasn't B. Joe Pfeiffer, but we've seen Bazooka rally in some of these fights, and even in his last fight against Sean Woodson, he gets taken down by Woodson. Like, he struggled in all aspects of the fight. He was able to up his output as the three rounds went on and up his strike percentage. 
Not that you want to look at numbers that bad, but again, a long-rangey striker. So I like the resolve out of a guy like Dennis Bazookia, but I think he's going to struggle with Emmers, who's got such a bad taste in his mouth off that Jenkins loss. 100%. The only thing that does worry me is Emmers at 34. You could see this being a fight where it's kind of a hiccup, right? Where it's, do we have to start like worrying? Like Timur Valley have started to have. Yeah, exactly. 100%. There's a ton of fighters that come to mind, but the thing about Emmers is the talent has already been there, but by 34, you would have expected him to at least beaten some guys who at least were ranked and maybe be in that borderline of a rankings himself. I think the talent's there, and that's why I have him in this matchup. But for Emmers at this age, I do think it's kind of difficult to project a real good ceiling on him, right? Because he has had close fights against really talented fighters. He's had great performances against guys who are probably below him in the division. So for me, I just find it really difficult to say, hey, where does Jamal Emmers fit in the overall division? But I do have him to win this fight. Some really interesting action at 145, going with the long range. He strikes not volume out of a guy like Jamal Emmers, but watch out for power. It's the great equalizer from Dennis the Great Bazookia. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have in this matchup. Two title fights up at the top. Mm. One interim, one for the real McCoy. You are not going to want to miss it. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Absolute banger. Coming up this weekend at Flyweight, originally supposed to be number 14, Steven Astroboy Erseg moving up in the ranks to take on one Matt Schnell. Danger Schnell. It was announced on October 27th that out was Schnell, and the danger gets passed along to no no Alessandro Costa. And Matt, when we look at this card, there really is a lot of storylines as far as fighters who fought each other who also featured on this one, as well as teammates. And if you look at it, Longo and Wyman MMA, they're represented by three, and thrice represented is Lobo Jim MMA with Godinez Costa and Diego Lopez. But Matt, when I look at this fight, I mean, there's so many different things to say. For Steven Erseg, he got to back up the train to his decision win over number 10 ranked David Dvorak in a short notice UFC debut. Now, Erseg, a couple weeks prior, was supposed to be taking on Clayton Carpenter. The fight fell out, and he ultimately took that big-time matchup against a ranked opponent. And son of a gun, something happened that doesn't happen very often for Erseg. Not only did he rally to win the second round, the third round, not only was he able to, to drop, and maybe they weren't counted as knockdowns, but you be the judge and go back and watch his opponent Damn. wobble. Erseg looked really good, but out of a decision win, he got a performance bonus. So something that we don't see very often, Erseg was able to utilize those good leg kicks that really did bust They're up an opposite too. stance of David Dorjak, that big time right hand that we knew him for. But for Erseg, so exciting was he on the regional scene. We got a lot to say about him, the former Eternal Flyweight Champion. I mean, if you know Steven Erseg, well, you probably do. I mean, it's not crazy and outside of the realm of possibility that you already recognize him because he fought with Hex. He's 7-0 and with Eternal. He is their flyweight champ. A little bit of experience here and there at Bantamweight. And I think the craziest thing out of Astro Boy's overall career is that already established as a pro, he somehow competes in amateur matches at GAMMA, the Global Mixed Martial Arts Organization Tournament. And I'll throw it up there because in 2019, he goes through the tournament. At the end, he fights fellow UFC flyweight. Now, all of a sudden, Daniel Bondar, old psycho. And in that one, Erseg loses. And if you go and you look at some of the pictures, I found one on Steven's uh, Facebook page. They're wearing like the big gloves and they're wearing the shin pads as well. So it's not like we're going out there and landing elbows or anything yeah. crazy. So Steven doesn't get it done there. 
but that's all right, because that's a pretty darn good fighter. But as a pro for Airseg, I went down through and watched every single fight in meticulous order. And for me, it really surprised me. He's got two really big names on his pro record. One win over with Hex against the former, or the recent road to UFC finalist, uh, and that is Sungook Choi, who wasn't able to get it done over Park. And in that one, first round, fairly competitive, round two, round three, it is Erseg taking it down to the mat and just controlling overall. And if you look at it for Erseg, when he wins his eternal flyweight strap, he beats Shannon Ross and he finishes him by rear naked choke, drops him with the right hand, and then gets down on the ground and gets that submission win. There's so many positives to go through it with Steven Erseg. He's going to be one of the biggest flyweights you're ever going to find at 5'9". But the craziest part about it, for as big and as muscular and as powerful as Erseg is with his takedowns, he marches guys down in almost a square stance. He drops back on the center line and drops his hands every time. And I can count it on two hands the amount of times Erseg's been dropped by right hands against his opponents. But by the Jeepers, he's got nine wins. And he's he one of those Ben Bateau break kind of guys. He's like the Colts defense when they had Peyton Manning. Because when Erseg is able to land his own strikes, and if you just watch them in a vacuum and kind of eliminate some of the strikes he's absorbing, he's not like a terrible striker. Like, he's Re- not some negative striker on the really, field. Really, really good inside leg exactly. kick. He attacks the calf on the outside, too. And a good right hand, too, and he's able to land it straight. He can land it as a hook, too. And that's why I do think he's a very dangerous fight. Erseg will throw the jab out there a little bit. He will throw the leg kicks as I mentioned and he will throw a really nice right cross and every now and again he'll set himself up and wait and bait and then throw that nice left hook you saw that when he fought Paul Loga in a fight where Loga and sorry he fought Paul Loga twice the first Loga fight Loga goes overhand right and it lands on Steven's chin he goes overhand right and it lands on Steven's chin he does it three times and Steven, Ben, but don't break. He stands up, and then he ultimately lands that left hook. That is his only knockout win. So for me, Erseg's one of those guys, like we had Jesse Butler coming in on short notice last weekend against Jim Miller. I don't think Erseg's out like a fish out of water like Butler was against Miller. That was a, Unless you're a top 15 fighter, you can't beat Jim Miller on two yeah, days notice. That, that was a Thursday call-in to fight on Saturday, and thank goodness for Butler, he made the weight, but I thought he was dead, and I yelled and woke up the dogs and my Just wife. Like, but Jim Miller's still what, that guy. Yeah, when it comes down to this matchup, again, Erseg, he got dropped by Tim Moore. He got outstruck by Mark Familiari before he got the fight down to the mat. The fight that he had against Cody Haddon was at Bantamweight after quite a bit of a time away. And in that one, even though Cody Haddon's 2-0, those two guys train together now. So that's pretty cool. Saw that on uh, the Instagram of Erseg. But in that matchup, that was a fight of the night. It was back and forth. Haddon's really landing on Erseg. Erseg has to rally back again. And in the third round, it really was all Erseg. I scored at 29-28 for Erseg. And then his last time out against uh, Soichiro Hirai. Hirai, familiar, or, or kind of looked a lot like Dvorak on the outside. He's kind of lunging around. He is a southpaw. And then he tries to duck in for a punch. And as he ducks, then Steven's able to go in there, grab the back, pull the fight down to the mat. It was a bodyweight takedown. And Erseg gets the submission. So the counter right cross, if you know, you knew. And you saw it at use against Dvorak. But we saw it all the way through on the regional scene. Erseg in this one taking on Alessandro Costa. And Costa's one of those guys, Matt. You know, if, if I'm out there and I'm thinking, okay, how good is this prospect really? Well, last year we had a contender series show. We did all the episodes. We talked about the fighters. And Costa was one of the first fights on week one, 2022. Again, he wasn't Joe Pfeiffer. He, was. he wasn't Dennis Bazookia. But he did get a win over one of those Flying Martinetti brothers. And he looked really good in that fight. 
I thought he was deserving of it, but listen, it, it wasn't Contender Series 2023 where you sign winners, losers, oh, everybody. and one half of a fight that went to a draw. They signed one of the ladies, but not the other lady. But for Alessandro Costa, what does he do? He picks himself back up again. He takes on Carlos Gomez. He flurries a little bit. He lands a giant overhand right. It knocks out Gomez, and then Costa's in on short notice to take on Amir Albazi. He gets dropped twice in that fight. It was finished, but Costa's last time out, a bonus winning performance against the ghost of Jimmy Flick. He looked amazing in that one, and why? Because of his leg kicks, and he was able to drop Flick with the leg kicks and finish him up on the ground. So for Costa, coming off a performance bonus, and he got a finish for Airseg, a decision performance bonus. That never happens, but it did. I know you're excited about of this. Course. I think my face is probably well, Dana White, Conor McGregor press conference in Toronto Dana levels red. of red. But listen, the rating, defending, 155-pound champion of the UFC. I'm excited about this one, Matt, and I hope the fans are too. It is a phenomenal fight. And going back and watching the Costa tape, like, it's really exciting to watch because he does have so many pluses to his game. It's not only the speed, it's not only the power. He's got a pretty good ground game to go along with it, which that, is nice to see. That's the best thing about this fight. And we'll talk well, about both it. Guys, well, exactly. We'll, we'll talk about it in the co-main event with Pavlovich and Aspinall having that kind of trap card that they're able to throw out. Ersay, you see it in a strike in his last time out. But he's an excellent grappler. His Great wrestling's good in his jiu-jitsu. Alessandro Costa, while he's not the jiu-jitsu coach at Lobo Gym, that's Diego Lopez, he's got that BJJ black belt on lock. This is one of, like, two fights in the card that I do know the odds of, and they're almost dead even. And it does make sense because guys' styles do complement each other so well. But we kind of talked a little bit before we started filming, and it was a point that we had both brought up, where not only is speed going to be important, but Costa's one of these interesting strikers who he can kind of go from mode A to mode B. And they're a little bit different. There are positives to both. But when he has his feet moving when he decides to throw his boxing combinations, he can do a really good job of not only throwing that one big right hand that can end the fight, but flurrying to close the distance. And I do think that helps him open up some of the grappling exchanges, some of the takedowns as well but it does come down to can he be busy enough on the initial flurries because if he does just decide to rush into the pocket over and over again and become a little bit predictable listen i was worried about shelton almeida's predictability didn't worry at all it didn't matter whatsoever for him over the weekend but for costa if he does get a little bit predictable going for some of those bigger shots on the feet i could see him missing those and tend to wearing out and that's a wild thing to say about flyweights too we're talking about this fight like it's two 185ers because they do have so many ways to finish the fight but if costa does find himself not using his feet and just whiffing on those big power shots i can see it being a long night for him and for both guys really good jab really good leg kicks i mean costa it's the big overhand right for air seg it really is the right cross to get over your defenses and when you look at a guy like costa he always has to overcome the height and the reach disadvantage and that might seem strange but at flyweight he is one of the more compact guys that you're gonna find out there and for air seg he's one of the taller rangier guys and that might sound strange because he only has one inch and a reach advantage but watch the way that he fights the one problem that Ersay can have and you saw it on the regional scene and you saw it in his fight against David Dvorak yes he was able to land the head kick in the second round he had the guillotine where it was almost like a Mike Goldberg it is all over type of moment until Dvorak was able to kind of pull through but when you look at a guy like Ersay he doesn't cut the cage at all he follows his opponent a lot which is weird because usually fighters that have a good job and a good leg kick, they're able to mold things into their own creation and back a fighter up and really pull away. So for Ersig, we'll see how that plays out in this one. The other part, again, the grappling. The wrestling on both of these men is, it is that next level. And 
I was so excited to see Costa when I saw watched his tape to get ready for Contender Series. I thought, okay, this guy will be a ranked fighter in the UFC. I thought the same thing about Erceg getting ready for the Dvorak fight. So, again, I think these two guys, they fit. Their styles complement each other. I see this as being a very, very close contest. We look over on Best Fight it's Odds. It's one of those fights where we could see a rematch when they're both in the rankings. You know, we see like a 9 versus uh, 10, one of those deals. Because I don't think both guys are going to be around for a while. They're very talented. Erceg open minus 165. He's a minus 140 right now. Costa opened as a plus 135. He's a plus 115 or thereabouts. So we have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say Costa was almost a 3-1 to one favorite over Flick, and he won. And Airseg was a giant underdog Huge, against yeah. Forjak, and he won. He got a bonus to his name. And I, the fans usually side that way. So I'm going to say over under 67.5% Airseg. I've mentioned one of my friends in the lore of this show before. His name's Tim. I have another friend named Mike. And he was one of these guys who, if he showed up determined to be really good, he was one of the great athletes you'll ever see. But sometimes he just didn't really care, you know? For Airsig, there is a part of me, not about the care thing, but there's a part of me that thinks Airsig could, if he can continue to build on the skill set he has right now, could be a really interesting fighter. And the only other point I wanted to bring up was the fact that I agree with your point about the cage cutting. I think Costa's going to meet him, though, in a lot of these exchanges. So I just don't know if that's going to be as big of a factor because I don't know if Costa's going to be the type of guy who does rely on the back foot. I think the votes are going to be over. You think they're going to be over? And they are way wow. over. 702 total votes, 85% Airsig, 80% by decision for the 15% that have cost uh, 44% by decision, 37% by knockout. And again, I think this is going to be a really close fight. In my head, I thought, hey, Brenner Krzyzewski is going to be a close fight, and it wasn't. But when you do look at this one, Matt, I'd really like to get your thought on just a pick here. So all week long, I thought I was going to go with Costa, but I do think the overall forward pressure of Airsig at a certain point is going to catch him with a shot. I worry a little bit about those looping shots of Costa. And listen, if one of them lands, I'm going to look like the dumbest man alive. But I think Airsig can do a decent job, even though, and you bring up, rightfully so, the defensive liabilities he has shown with that technique. But I do think his pressure is eventually going to get to Costa, and he should be able to land one of those right hands. But I I'm as excited for this fight on the feet as I am on the mat. And hopefully we do get some really fun grappling exchange. I mean, I mentioned in the original clip, the fight against Paul Logo was able to land some shots. The fight against Cody Haddon, where Haddon had success in some of the grappling. And then, of course, he was just able to dust Soichiro uh, Hirai before he came into the UFC. I'm going to go with Alessandro Costa as the underdog. I do think, again... For the size of him, he's got a long jab. And the big thing that I like at Acosta in this fight is where Airsig can be kind of compact at times. This, this, this is the complete 180. This is a two-face if I've ever Aaron Eckhart at something. As good as he can be with his distance, he can sometimes sit there and wait and wait and try and figure out his counters. And Costa does a good job of ducking, but not like we talked about here a couple of weeks ago, ducking with his chin in. He doesn't do that like a Cowway Fernandez who we saw last weekend. So I do like that at Acosta. He's in, he's out. He changes his levels really well. So for that reason, I like Costa. Matt, you're going with Steven Erceg. Really like to see if the fans, like the guy that the UFC now calls Steve, it's Astro Boy Erceg. I'm going with no-no, Alessandro. Costa, Matt, some big-time fights in this card. Listen, titles titles They're on, on the, the line, line. co-main event main event you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fight name picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. flyweight action continues as the 2018 great flyweight purge is years behind us at this point we have some exciting prospects looking to duke it out in nyc at msg 
My Joshua Band taking on uh, the Black Rooster. It's Kevin Borjas, and I know you can get excited about this one. Yeah. These two guys absolutely breathe fire when they're inside of the cage, and it's crazy because for Joshua Van, he's 22 years old. What were you doing at 22? I was getting a university degree. This guy's getting a degree in thugonomics. I bet you a lot of old-timey fight fans would like that. But he is fearless. He made it near the top of the mound with uh, Fury FC. And then he ends up coming in, taking on Matt. I'd say Kazakhstan's most eligible bachelor. Because when you got one, you got two, you got three, you got more. Why not grab... Shalgas, have you been around the block? Oh, <laughs> I've circled it. Listen, he runs the cement plant that makes the block. But when you do look at this one, Joshua Van, he was able to overcome a little bit of stalemate of the first round. He looked really good as that fight went on. Picked up UFC win number one against a gritty vet and a former Fight Night's global champ and Jagashuma Gulov. So for Van, he's riding that high. He gets to take on Contender Series 2023 winner Kevin Borjas. Again, the Black Rooster. And when you look at a guy like Borjas coming out of a kind Country that's underrepresented in MMA. You think of Peru, you think of Daniel Marcos, you think of Claudio Poyas. There hasn't really been a lot of big time fighters there, but a guy like Kevin Borjas gets that opportunity here this weekend. And if you watch his Contender Series fight, he was taking on Brazil's Victor Diaz. It was a short notice fight for both of them. Borjas was originally due Brazil's Hicks and Zenadim. Zenadim is out, but he's always on Twitter. He was out of the fight. In was Diaz. Diaz was a massive favorite. Borjas, takedown defense like Swiss cheese. And you knew that if you watched any of his regional fights. Borjas was the Inca FC champ. He also had a fight in Copa Combate. You know, Campbell McLaren just shouting at the top of his lungs about the biggest trophy in sports. But Kevin Borjas lost in that fight. And I'll talk about that fight because there could be parallels with this one. If you watched it, it's out there on YouTube. But for Borjas, the takedown defense is it's bad. It's so bad. But when he is striking, he's utilizing those Muay Thai influences. That was his first martial art. This guy has the trickiest stance because he stands. It's a Thai stance, but it's a little square. He's got hips that, oh boy, are they ever flexible. And for Borjas, those leg kicks are insane. And he has got a cannon of a right hand. He can throw it as an overhand, a hook. But also, when you least expect it, he just leans back a little bit, pumps that right cross out there like a cannon. So again, I'm excited about this one. Both these guys are dynamic strikers, and I, I think it's going to be a really good fight. It is a phenomenal fight stylistically because I do think both guys are going to be in the pocket for quite a bit, but that's the thing about a guy like Borjas who is so comfortable just with that kind of lean back style, right? And it's something that we hate some fighters for. Luke Rockhold still does it in other combat sports now, but because it does leave you so open, right? If you don't move your feet and just relying on the lean back, all your opponent has to do is throw a couple strikes in combination, make sure they move their feet, and then they're going to be able to land much more consistently but the threat of power coming back your way from Borjas I do think does a really good job of at least keeping some fighters off of him but I can't believe this is a conversation I had with another person today I was watching Borjas fights at work like you do and my friend goes so what's this guy good at and I was like well he's pretty good at like being long away but when guys get up close they can mess him up and he goes you mean like a Greek phalanx? And I went, excuse me? I don't really know what that is. I think I've heard the term before. You know when like all the people in the military would put their shields together and have the spears going down the middle? His style is slightly reminiscent of that because at the long range is where the majority of the danger is going to be. But, and you bring it up, it's not only with the striking defense, it's the takedown defense that really does concern me. At the UFC level, I wonder if he is going to be able to get away with a style like that because under the threat of not only high level takedowns, but consistent takedowns that are really good 
going to work your cardio? Is that kind of a style well, going to work long term? Both of these guys have those same kind of troubles in their arms, so to speak. They can blast guys when they get close, at least. We were really excited about Van in his debut against Shuma Gulov. So let's throw it to a clip kind of before that debut. I really liked, again, this run that Joshua Van's gone on with Fury. All of his amateur and pro career with Fury FC. He has the one loss by submission to a really good prospect not that long ago, back in 2021 against Devon Jackson. But if you look at it for Van, this guy's really interesting. Now, when he's on the forefoot, does he throw a lot of combinations? Not really. No. Throws a lot of jabs. He'll throw a nice right hand. He has a really nice leg kick that wobbles some of his opponents. Going back and watching the tape on Van, though, I've seen people shout it from the rooftops on Twitter that Joshua Van is that guy. I don't know if he's that guy, guys. I really don't. I've watched so much friggin' fight tape to get ready for Juma Gulov fights. Van is last time out. He's taking on one 17-9 Cleveland McLean. 17-9's a great record. Cleveland McLean 17-9 isn't every 17-9. At 21, though, when you're only 7-1, I think it is a good fight to have. McLean wins the first round of that one, and Van rallies back, wins the second round. He ends up wobbling McLean. It looks like he breaks his nose because McLean's kind of pawing at it. Jumps from the back for the standing rear naked choke, and he gets the submission win. He's taken on Paris Moran before that, almost a year ago. In that one, Moran wins the first round, out grapples Van, Moran's a striker, and then in the second round, it was a wild blitz of a finish by Joshua Van. The win before that over Mario Suazo, he ends up getting a calf like sir, like he's Brett Johns, but he rallied back in that fight, and Souza was 2-1, and one, and Souza's wins, the two wins, over an 0-1 fighter and an 0-5 fighter. And before those fights, Joshua Van's level competition, not great as a pro, but again, I get it. He is 21 years old now. He comes in as an amateur, as a pro, as a very young man. The skills off the charts, like if you just look at them on the paper, but it's really bringing them together in these fights. He can get pressured back and held against the cage. He's got a great move to get the underhook and chuck off his opponent. I really like that out of Joshua Van. He makes guys pay when it's on the ground. Again, I struggle with the fight IQ in some of these. He's a young guy. I get it. But Van's last time out against McLaren, he's in a really good position. And then all of a sudden, he jumps down and goes for, like, uh, a knee bar. And he is much more uh, submission over position. That'll be a big Standing issue against Standing to the leg. And then he gets back up, and he finds himself back against the fence. And he smiles because he know he made a mistake. And he is, again, 7-1. I'm nitpicking at this point. But it, it is tricky. I mean, he's a guy that'll walk out to, is you ready? By Migos, I don't like that song. They say, is you ready so many times and it's in too many commercials. So Van's able to get it done in that fight against Shumagula, but again, we were worried about his takedown defense. You think of that fight against Paris Moran, who's since gotten back to the top over with Fury. Van gets that win, first fighter to represent Myanmar and, of course, the United States. But first fighter of Burmese descent in the UFC gets the win. Obviously, you got to be looking up to fighters like Ang Lung Sung over with one championship there. But for Van, a giant win. He's coming out of four-ounce fight club. And unfortunately for Houston in the main event last weekend... Derek Lewis didn't fare all that well against Charlton Almeida, but Van looking to pick up the pieces and get the win over Borjas. I said about a loss, and you don't want to look too badly at a loss, but when you consider for a guy like Kevin Borjas, you add things up. Uh, combined opponent record coming into the UFC for Borjas is 25-22 and 22 before he went into Dana White's Contender Salty. Series. 
and then he beat 11 and 2 Diaz. So ultimately, it's 36 and 24, and that's with a loss to 13 and 6 Mendez. And so, listen, the wins are over less than stellar fighters. So he fights Henzo Mendez over with uh, Combate, and in that fight, in the first minute, a counter right cross knocks down Mendez, and then he's on top. And Borjas is landing, and I, I'm not—you can't see because I'm You're below trying. the table. But he's punching through the crotch of his opponent to blast him with ground and pound. Blasting him through the crotch with ground and pound. Borjas looks like he either he should have. That was like the biggest flash knockdown, and his opponent looked like he was out. Then he's beating on him through his crotch, and then ultimately Borjas wilts to the pressure and he ends up losing against Mendes. I don't so. know how to follow any of this up, Craig. A really tough one. He got the, blasted the, to the cross. The head kick wobbles Borjas in the second round and then Borjas ends up the, the ground and pound TKO victory for his opponent. So again, Borjas, I worry about the takedown defense. I worry about kind of the stick to I've seen him fight in five round fights before over with Inca. His last time out, his opponent... Uh, retired with two seconds in the fourth round, which is a weird thing to see. But when you do look at a guy uh, like Borjas or in Borjas, really good Muay Thai skills, really good counter-striking. His chin's been tested before. He reminds me a lot of Kion Krzyzewski, who fought last weekend. That's the second mention for him. But I am excited about this one, Matt, uh, for Borjas to get that UFC. Even he U. can't believe his name has come up twice this week. Uh, Joshua Van, open to minus 250. He's still about there, Jesus so he size. is the favorite. We have a look at the top you votes, Matt. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 80% Van. I think they're going to be over. Van's the man, yeah. and yes, they're over. Uh, 1,091 total votes, 89% Van, 76% by decision. For the 11% that a Borjas, 70% by decision. Matt, I wore my glasses all day. I don't know how I'm reading this small print. I don't know if it's due in part to not a sponsor, Pitch Black Mountain Dew. I'm trash. I'm trash. You're drinking like jet fuel right now, so... You know what? It's kind of like that old foreigner song, Dirty White Boy. I'm just drinking pitch black, and you better keep your, your daughter in the picture. got a bag of Doritos off screen. You can't see him. Hardcore. I do have Joshua Van in this fight. Again, when it does come into those tight quarters, we've seen Van make some of those mistakes, either searching to drop levels, looking for some of the grappling in his own rate. His takedown defense has been a problem as well, but he makes guys pay with his striking. Both these guys are very, very speedy. I just think there's more of a variety of attack from a guy like Joshua Van, and I think he's going to be able to get the win here. And I think there's more threat of power from both sides, too. It's not only the right hand. He does a really good job at the left side attacks, too. Not only the hooks. He's got elbows in close. I just think he's a much more active and varied striker in that close range. But Boros reminds me a little bit of like any late career NBA player, just a three-point shooter now. If they go off and if they're just able to do that one thing that they specialize in, they can look good. And I do worry a little bit that if he's able to land that right hand early and consistently, he's not going to need a crazy volume to win the fight. He's going to be able to land it, sit back for 45 seconds, a minute, land it again. And if he's able to use that kind of a game plan, I think he could win the fight, but I do have Van all in all. Uh, Matt, it's kind of like John Morant taking on Steve Novak. Uh, for me, I'll go with Joshua Van in the matchup. You're in agreement in this one. Both of us going with Van to get the win. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. Again, two title fights up at the top. Prohashka's back and he's taking on Pereira. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it.
Binweed is a Shark Tank and a couple of guys that are looking to continue to move up the ladder in the division. We have Minnesota's own Sexy Mexi, John Castaneda. He's going to be taking on Busan, South Korea's Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Gong. And Matt, again, I said this at the start of the card about Jamal Amherst, but I'll say it about this fight as well. If you know me and you know this channel, I get too excited, frankly, about both of these fighters. I mean, for Kyung Ho Gong, he debuted, debuted in the UFC. That's how excited I am. Ten years ago. Isn't Wild, that crazy? Isn't it? Yeah. Ten years ago. He's the former Road FC champ. He debuts against Alex Caceres, and it's overturned to a no contest. It was a split decision loss, but Alex Caceres had a strong preponderance of the sticky icky left in his bloodstream. So unfortunately for him, it's an no contest. Obviously, that wouldn't happen in the year of our Lord, 2023. But imagine if that's what the 30 for 30 about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa was. They're like, they're getting turned in the clubhouse. Can't be having it. Wild. But Kyung Gong loses that. He loses to Chico Camus. But since then, Matt, Kyung Gong's turned on a pretty darn Which good... Which is crazy. ...yet slightly forgettable UFC run. And that's what I'm all about. Guys like Leo Sa Santos, Kyung Gong, Claudio Silva, that have these insane records, but nobody ever talks about them. So for Gong, if you look at it, the five on in, he's four and one. The one loss, you worry about it. He drops Ronnie Yaya early, and he just kind of blows his load in the first round, and he's a little bit sleepy round two, round three. The conditioning didn't hold up, but you look at the last two wins for Gong. He beats Bakari Dana, and he beats Christian Quinones. And in these gong fights, I mean, I don't want to look at the odds too much, or I don't try to look at the odds too much, but they're usually really close in his fights because what do most people think about Kyung Ho Gong? Well, he's really long. He's, he's really, really strong, too. He's really rangy for this division. He's a really good offensive grappler. Defensively, he leaves a little bit to be desired, and that's why he tends to lose some of his fights. If he's not a better wrestler... Then if you're like an X-Factor wrestler, you, you can know. beat him. But for Kyung Ho Gong, he is really good. He can get held down. But what we've seen in these last two fights, Bakari Dana, who had just lost a few months before against Chris Gutierrez, got viciously finished in that Short one and took the fight against Gong. Gong was able to outstrike him pretty handily. And in Gong's last fight... You'll look at the result, you'll see a knockdown, you'll see a submission win for Gong, but if you didn't actually watch the fight, you'd, you did, you wouldn't realize that Kanonez was pushing a pace. He was landing some big shots. Gong gets backed up, he's behind the black line, he's getting hit. It looks like it could be to a point where it's going to be over. Then it becomes Rock'em Sock'em, and for a long-rangey striker in Gong, he starts to throw these big hooks. It's one, two, three hooks, left hook, right hook, left hook, drops Quinones, and then he gets his back. He gets a disgusting rear naked choke. Tight. He gets the win. He's so happy. He's pointing everywhere. They don't give him bonus money, so it hurt my heart a little bit seeing that. But Kyung Ho Gong, we've seen a progression in his boxing skills his last two fights, and now you're taking on a southpaw who's got really good side-to-side -side movement, who was a really good wrestler became before he became a mixed martial artist in John Castaneda. So style for style, this is one of the more competitive fights on this card. It's a really fun fight, and I agree with everything you've said, but I also think that Kyung Ho Gong has this really weird part to his game where if he does go back to the fighter he was before these improvements, I do think stylistically at least, don't get rid of the things that you've got better at, but I do think if he went back to more of a wrestling-heavy game plan, it would give him a good chance to win this, and I only say it for this reason. I know when you bring it up, you might think, hey, the 
submissions of Castaneda. Like, he has a lot to deal with on the mat. He's been able to show that in the UFC tenure. I think that might be able to at least wear down Castaneda to make the power less of a threat as this fight continues. Because if Kyung Kong is able to use his uh, just reach and some of those longer range attacks, I think he could have success, but it's also going to leave that door open for him to get caught. And that's the one thing I do worry about because he sometimes has a bit of a long reach chamber on his strikes. We'll throw that really nice shot, but he'll stick around for that extra half second and not bring the hand right up defensively. And it's one of those attacks where if he doesn't land consistently on Castaneda and the sexy Mexi is able to just get his defensive down left to right, I think he could make him pay for some of those counters. But again, it's one of those fights where both guys have so many positives to their game and they both have a couple negatives you can pick at here and there, but they're both really talented fighters. And that's been the crazy thing about Kyung Ho Gong. He's 36 years old. I feel like every time we've talked about him, he's been 36 years old. He just always feels like he's in that kind of late prime, if you will. But like you said, not only has he been able to go out there and not look like a diminished version of himself, he's been able to make improvements amongst these last few fights. And how many guys can we say that about at this stage of their career? We're not looking around that saying it every week. And both of these guys, I mean, it is a little bit strange because they both had gut check type of fights. I mentioned Kyung Ho Gong's fight against Ronnie Yaya where round two, round three, he was underwater like any round two, round three in a Cody Brundage fight. But if you do look at John Castaneda, same thing happened when he took on Daniel Willy Cat Santos. He looks amazing in the first round, dropping him. And then in the second round, he's got nothing left. You see Willy Cat going in, he gets the finish. But again, Castaneda, you see an interview that he did with the All-Star MMA, JHK. He's got a new boxing coach. He's training at the Academy in Minnesota. He's a Mankato guy. Shout out to those hockey players up there, Matt. But when you do look at it for Castaneda, UFC debut, he's taking on Nathaniel would on short notice. 330-27s, he got completely outstruck, but even if you go back and you watch that fight, he hung in there. It wasn't that bad. He goes out there, he gets a couple of really big wins. Eddie Wineland, Miles Johnson, his last time out, he beats Muin Gafurov, he drops him in the first round, he puts a pace on him. But the big thing out of Castaneda, tricky southpaw, he will switch his stances a little bit too, but on the reset, it's like, wait, wait, wait. And I thought, in my mind's eye, the Castaneda watching the fights, before I watched the fights, sorry, I thought Castaneda, he does a lot more than Kyung Ho Gong. Rewatching the fights, sometimes he does. Sometimes we're fighting in a mirror. So that's why, as excited as I might be about this fight, it might end up being uh, we're, we're staring in the well, mirror. What are we wearing? Today? And that's the negative I bring up when I think about Castaneda. He will let guys get close to him. Be like Chael Sonnen, Vanderlei. I can't let you get close. Now, even though he does have such great offensive grappling, not only with the wrestling, the submissions as well, his long-range striking is very good when he's able to land from both sides. It really just good kicks. To, exactly. It's just when guys are able to get into that middle range, disrupt some of the kicks, and land their own offense, he will become a much more diminished version. And sometimes he'll even have this uh, ability where he'll kind of push his butt out, put his shoulders up, almost expecting a takedown. It does open him up for counter shots on the outside when he does get into that kind of a mode. Again, he's working with a new boxing coach. We'll see how that plays out for him. Castaneda is uh, the favorite in the fight. Open about a minus 155. He's still there. Kyung Ho Gong, a plus 130 or thereabouts. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Usually people go with the fighter that's five years younger. I'm going to say the fans are going with John Castaneda at Bantamweight. I'm going to say over under 75% Castaneda. How about them apples? To me, it's a hard one because I think Castaneda has the higher ceiling, but he probably has the lower floor too if everything goes wrong. So I'll say under. You're going to say under? It's on. You looked at these. I did not. 964. To Whoa! I just realized the numbers, Matt. 964 total votes, 63% gong, 81% by decision for the 37% that have Castaneda, 75% by decision. So the fans. 
however different than my my brain and my, my mouth had. Uh, so I guess I'm in a state of shock. What's your pick here? So I guess I'm gonna go against the Tabology voters. Kyung Ho Kong is a great opportunity to win this fight based on the skill set. But, and you kind of bring it up, and this isn't all of what my pick goes into. I just worry about his age at this stage. Like, at the weight class, we don't see a lot of people in their late 30s excel at bantamweight. It'll happen every now and then. But look at poor Uriah Faber. He beat Ricky Simone, and then it didn't go great. So, I think Kong has all the skills to go out there and win. I think he has to really try to close the distance, though, and that's the thing I'm going to be watching for. So, I'm going to go with Castaneda ever so slightly, but I think distance management for both fighters is going to be the most important thing. <sighs> So this is really hard because I try and do the, you know, I say, I, I start this video off and I say, listen, I'm really excited about it. I love these two guys' fight styles. And obviously I'm not lying about that, but you try and keep the bias at the door at the end of the day. I want to take Kyung Ho Gong in this fight, but there's two fights that he's had that make me worry about it. One against Liu Ping Yuang. He wins it by split decision. Go back and look at his face at the end of it. He looks like, you know, early mask stage Jacques Plant. His face is blown right up at his nose. And then from 2019 to 21, he took time off due to injuries and he got married. From 2014 to 2018, he took it off. It was mandatory military service in South Korea. So those are the reasons for those really long layoffs. I think Castaneda will be able to bust him up a little bit. And that'll cause him some issues. I think Castaneda's got a decent chin as compared to some of the other opponents. So I'll go with Castaneda ever so slightly in this fight. But I'm really eager to see it's who the fans fight. have because the odds, the topology votes, our picks, none of them gel together. So I'd really like to hear from you. Some big time fights on this card. Of course, Prahashka taking on Pereira in that main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. Late week grinders touching down in New York City. We have the 2016 Greco-Roman Danish silver medalist Mark, the Olympian Madsen, and he's going to be taking on Flash Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon out of Queens, New York, and he's looking to get back in the win column. Obviously, for Gordon, his last couple of timeouts, they really haven't gone his way. And for Mark Madsen, he tasted defeat for the first time in his pro career. I mean, both guys, listen, they've struggled against Grant Dawson. But ultimately, it really is a bit of a clash of styles. You look at a guy like Mark Madsen and the Greco-Roman, it'll take you far. And it has so far until his last timeout with the grappling didn't matter. It was like, uh, what, whose line is it anyways? The grappling doesn't matter and the striking's not good. So what did we have? Well, Grant Dawson was able to soften up Mark Madsen with kicks. He dropped him with leg kicks, and then he was able to finish the fight on the mat in that third round. So for Madsen, if you look at it, he's really switched things up. And that's been the thing for Madsen. His thirst for knowledge, even as a guy that's 39, it's always been there. You think about it. He's almost to his 32nd birthday. He's 31, and he wins an Olympic medal back in 2016. He's 39 now. He started training at home in Europe. Then he moved it to Extreme Couture, from Extreme Couture to his last number of fights at Fight Ready down in Arizona. Now for this one, if you look at it on the IG, he's balanced it out between Morocco, training with Nazrat Hakparas, but also back home, and you'll see that on the second, I was going to say slide, like it's a presentation, but you see it on the second graphic to where he's training his Muay Thai at home in Denmark. He's got a guy in Demir Hadzovic that's really going to help him with his striking. I think so, if yeah. Demir knows anything, it's striking, and if Mark knows anything, it's grappling, and if you put those two guys together, maybe that's a big business champion, I guess. But when you do look at this fight, Matt, Jared Gordon's 
kind of had a wild run. It's bumps and bruises against some pretty good fighters. And if you look at the last two fights, you look at the Patty Pimblet loss, and I'll throw the graphic up there. MMA decisions, Matt. Not a single person except for one. Dan Urban. If I'm not mistaken, Dan, you're from Couchside Judges. You're the only one out of the media members that scored that one for Pimblet. Pimblet gets the win over Gordon. Everybody had Gordon. So Gordon's last time out, he took on Bobby Green. Bobby Green's beating him up. They clash heads. Bobby Green then drops him. And then it's a TKO win. And then automatically it's overturned to a no contest due to the clash of heads. But it was an awful scene in that one. It really was. And then, what was it, a month and a half later, they book him against Jim Miller. So Jared Gordon gets a new deal with the UFC and also a chance to fight Jim Miller. He's out of that fight because, of course, he is. Jesse Butler steps in and gets vaporized. And now, so Jared Gordon gets all this time off. He gets to take on Madsen. He's got good jiu-jitsu. He's got porous takedown defense. He's got better striking than Mark Madsen, I'd hazard to guess. So what do you think about this one? I've always had a really hard time with Jared Gordon in his career because uh, he is one of these weird fighters who kind of got a second prime later in his 30s. I always felt like Jared Gordon was very heavily promoted earlier on, didn't necessarily meet expectations, but once oh. people did all of a oh. sudden kind of cut stock with him, he did go on a bit of a run, which was nice to see. You beat Hakran Diaz, you're going to well, get exactly. that promotional push. But that was the thing about Gordon. I, for one, just thought, hey, he's pretty well-rounded, right? He's got the boxing, he's got the offensive wrestling. We've seen him, you know, kind uh, come up short against specialists even in the things that he does well but the thing that you always like about Jared Gordon is he does do a good job of switching up the dynamic of the fight hey I'm struggling with my striking I'm gonna go to my wrestling now or hey my opponent's really good with their uh, BJJ he can use his takedown defense but that's the thing it never really has been at the level of his offensive wrestling because his offensive wrestling is pretty good when he's able to mix in the the boxing as well I do think it's a factor of the ranges complement each other but with Gordon it, it's just always been weird. That's the thing. It was, hey, he did a really good job when I thought he wasn't going to. And now on this recent run, I for one thought he did beat Patty Pimblett. It was a close fight. That is something I will say. Like, people thought Jared Gordon beat him like 30 to 20. It wasn't that case by any means. I thought Jared Gordon won the fight. But again, it was a fairly close fight. But the thing about Gordon is, is he going to be able to offer anything off of his back if he does get taken down? Because Grant Dawson, even though he did do a good job at the long range with his kicks, I think would offer a lot more off his back when he does get taken down than a guy like Gordon who does result a lot or does resort to a lot of those just uh, kind of hold downs wait for the ref to stand up and that's what I worry about in this matchup because if Madsen is able to just use those offensive takedowns and not even do a lot with them just maintain that top position until the round's over I think he could go back to one of those y'all must have forgot performances but it always is difficult picking a guy who is such a specialist against someone who could use the other parts of his and game Madsen's an interesting guy because typically he targets the head with a lot of his boxing he will throw in the odd leg kick he doesn't really target the body at all he goes for takedowns and more often than not just so far in the five UFC fights he hasn't really been able to get one of those big hallmark finishes you might think of the Danilo Belardo fight but that's Danilo Belardo. do you worry no about offense. his pace at this age like that's something that Mark Madsen really needs yeah he like, looks just the physical he looks so level. tired in the third round well, against Grant Dawson and I know the leg kicks took their toll he gets dropped he he ends up getting finished on the mat but again when I look at this fight Jared Gordon's such an interesting case not because of just the second win but the second win from 2020 to 2021 145, 150 because of a Gordon weight miss, and then 155, 3-0, capped off by a win over the Sweet Prince, Matt. If you go down through it, you look at the five on in. A win over Joe Selecki by split decision. He then loses to Grant Dawson, and he beats Leonardo Santos. He loses to Patty Pimblett and so on. But 
The fight that Jared Gordon had against Leo Santos, he teed off on my guy, and it made me sad to watch it. So again, it is the, the grappling specialist, the wrestling specialist, I should specify, in Mark Madsen, working the striking at home. We'll see how that pays out in this fight for him. If you do look at the odds in this matchup, Matt, uh, Mark Madsen, the underdog, Jared Gordon, the favorite. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us, it is to you. Madsen's been out for about a year since his Grant Dawson fight. For Jared Gordon, his fight against Bobby Green, it was earlier on this year. I'm going to say over, under... I think it's going to get spicy in this one. I'm going to say over under 80% Gordon. I think it's going to be like 65% Gordon, so I'll say under. You, oh, it's the other way. I don't know how this stuff works anymore. 1,114 total votes, 60% Madsen, 86% by decision. For the 40% that have Gordon, 83% by decision. I think Jared Gordon beats Mark Madsen by decision because... Look at how Jared Gordon fought against Joe Selecki. Awfully. And it was a split decision win. And most people thought that Joe Selecki would win it. I think Joe Selecki would beat Mark Madsen. Jared Gordon, when he does get down to the mat, he's not a turtle. He's not a turtle. He can get off his back. He can utilize jiu-jitsu. I think his jiu-jitsu is that kind of final trump card against Mark Madsen's wrestling. And I think Jared Gordon can do enough in this fight to score points with the judges and win. I agree with your prediction. I do think Jared Gordon's going to be able to win this fight based largely on what he's going to be able to do on the feet. Exactly. I think the hooks are going to land if Mark Madsen does decide to stay in the pocket because he's not just going to go out there and shoot for the hips of Jared Gordon's second one. And if he does, I mean, we're going to get all the answers pretty quick, right? Either Mark Madsen completes the takedown, stays on top for the whole round, and that's probably rinse and repeat, or Gordon makes it really competitive, makes him work through some of those positions. I just think Madsen's so heavy on top that it's going to be difficult for uh, Gordon to try to get into advantageous positions. I think he's going to do enough outside of that because that's the thing about fighting a guy like Mark Madsen. You're going to have to fight off your back at some point, and I'm sure his coaches have informed him about that. So I do like Jared Gordon for the wall round, and it's been a really fun fight. We're going with the guy who's coming home again. It's Flash Gordon, Jared Gordon to get the win. Sam J. Jones, maybe uh, a big time fight for him against the Olympian. Let us know who you have down below in the comment section on this one, Matt. Some big time fights in the card. Tabitha Ricci's gonna fight Lupita Godinez. You're not gonna want to miss it. Keep it locked in with fighting Apex. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. The second of three Longo and Weidman MMA competitors to compete on this card. We have the Black Wolf, Nazim Sadakov, joining his teammates Matt Frivola and, of course, then it's Bazookia. Sadakov in this matchup taking on Slava Claus, Vyacheslav Borshov. Matt, this is one of the highest level striking affairs next to the main event, the co-main event, of course. But this one features two incredibly high level strikers. And when you look at a guy like Slava Claus, Vyacheslav Borshev, 18 and 2 the kickboxing record, a WAKO champ in kickboxing, a world champ, a Russian national champ. When you look at a guy like Nazim Sadikov, gets one on Contender Series last year, what does the UFC do? Hey, two part series on our YouTube channel about your family's lineage in Azerbaijan. But if you look at it for Nazim Sadikov, he was a two time WKA US national champ. In kickboxing, he was a junior Northeast judo champ, and he was also a master of sport in hand-to-hand -hand combat and uh, combat sambo. So again, when you look at these two guys, numbers on a page, they're very credited in striking. Well, that's what this fight is. Uh, let's just take us back for a second. Do you know what the most cracked out animated movie of all time is? <laughs> Hoodwinked. 
Now, Hoodwink's one of the great films of all time. It's widely considered the number one Knives Out. It just happened to be animated and involved a lot of mythical creatures. But my point is, one of the funniest scenes in that whole movie is the I, goat. No, well, the goat's funny. But they're in the mine shaft riding around, and he goes, that candle's really bright. What is it? And this just tiny Hispanic squirrel goes... Dynamite! And then he throws dynamite. That's what this fight is, Craig. It's dynamite. I think he was. Well, my point being, this fight is absolutely dynamite. Just in terms of stylistically, it gives you everything you want to see out of a striker's first MMA fight, right? I know we both brought up quite a few concerns out of Slava Borshev in terms of the holes of his game. Whoa. I guess you more so than me. So, I seem to pick him in on. every fight. Slavikov is two and two in the UFC. He's won both of those fights by knockout. One over Dakota Bush. Gary well, Bush. Looks good. Performance bonus. He got a performance bonus last time out against Mahashata. Dropped him three times. He was credited for that. In his two losses, Slava Borshev has been taken out 20 times. It's a lot. 20 times. My point is, though, we're going to get the best version of both guys in this matchup, or at least you would assume so. Because the one thing I love when I go back and watch Nazim Sadikov when he fights is, when he gets inside the pocket, those feet do like a half circle left and right to where he almost skips outside of the range of his opponent. It does a great job of striking from both sides. And I really like that part of his game, and I think it's going to help him offensively open up quite a few strikes around the somewhat predictable guard of Borishev. But the problem is... Slava has so much power on some of these hooks that if Sadikov does zig when he should zag and just move the wrong way, it might look great until it doesn't. And we could have one of those situations. I'm sorry to bring this up because I remember you were a big fan of this guy. Remember when Andre Koroshkov fought Douglas Lima the second time after he beat him in the close decision? He was teeing off on him up against the cage and all of a sudden Douglas Lima put those arms up. He went left, he went right, and he threw one of the biggest hooks you've ever seen. I think this could be one of those weird fights where Sadikov is rolling, it is looking really good, but he just makes that one wrong mistake where he walks into a big shot. Yeah, and Sadikov, he does have decent grappling. We've seen him out grappling fight, sure. But if you look at it, again, numbers on a page, 9-1 as a pro. He had a tidy, tidy uh, amateur record. And again, for Slava Claus, he competed in another sport before he joined this one. He actually competed in two. He was 2-0 in pro boxing in 2019 from March to August. He had a couple of fights there. 18-2 in kickboxing. So far, 7-3 in the mixed martial arts. And if you look at it, he's fought from behind. He considers fighting against Chris Duncan on Contender Series. It's Borsha rallying back in the second round. He's beating Mahashata's last time out. For Sadikov, the two UFC fights, one against Evan Elder where he lost the first two rounds, and then there's a nasty cut on Elder. It ends up as a fight of the night, and it's a third-round TKO win due to that cut for Sadikov. So Sadikov's next time out, he fights Terrence McKinney, and he loses the first round handily. But if you watch the second round, Matt, oh boy, he's able to get the back of McKinney, chicken wing one of the arms, and then you can't defend the rear naked choke at that point. That was point. really impressive. So he gets the win, a performance bonus for Sadikov his last time out. So again... These two guys, for, for Borsha, he's going to get better at Team Alphamil. I mean, as it continues, the progression has to happen, right? I think it will. will. I don't know if it will. I hope it will. It's it might. Hong's pretty good. Training with guys like Darren the Damage Elkins, who can still win fights. I mean, maybe they'll get better. He won't become Darren Elkins. I just don't understand why when you sign on to fight Darren Elkins, you don't immediately buy a Peloton. Like, you know what you're getting yourself into. You're going to be so tired by the end of it. It just 
It, it is tough. And sense. again, you see those losses, one to Mike Davis, Beast Boy, and one Big to power. Mark Chikasey, the lame prey artist himself. You got to look out for it. So Matt, when we do look at this fight, Slava Borshev, he is a fan favorite. He is a slight underdog in this one. Sadikov, the slight favorite. We have a look at the topology votes. Apparently today, I have no basis, no compass over. on these. Maybe maybe it's the fan coming out in me low these many years. But Matt, I'll let you set this one. Uh, I think they're going to be fairly close, honestly. I'm going to set them at 60% Sadikov. And I'm going to say over, and on this one, it's well, way over. 1,030 total votes, 83% Sadikov, 29% by decision, 49% by submission. Maybe a little bit of recency bias in there with the McKinney win. I think you do bring up for, a good point, though. For the 17% that are Borshov, 70% by knockout, and again... The zig to zag. Even look at his fight against Kenley St. Louis, who's done things since that fight. Borchev gets dropped in that one. He rallies himself back. Both these guys are extremely tough. They've got that dog in them. They do. We know that they do. And they're willing to come back in some of these fights. I think this is, if it stays standing, one of the highest level affairs okay. you're going to see in a really long time. And I have a hard time making a pick in this. So do I. Just because Slava Claus has, like, ridiculous power for the size of him. And I know, I guess 155, you have quite a few knockout artists. But he's one of these guys who, when he can land consistently on his opponent, it takes him a little while to find his range, right? He's like Randy Johnson before he won all the Cy Youngs. He can be a little bit wild, but once he hones in and he's able to land those power shots. There He's picking out birds. Exactly. That's how good he is. Unless you are a really high-level wrestler, it's really difficult to match what he's able to give to you on the feet, but I do think the movement of Sadikov is going to at least be able to answer some of that, and I'm glad you bring up the submission win the last time out, because up until that win, like, I wasn't expecting him to go out there and rear naked choke a lot of guys. He does have good grappling, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like he was stopping a lot of fights by submission on the regional scene. I think it's a good point to bring up, though, just because on the feet, it gives Slava the greatest chance to win this fight even though I do favor Sadikov. But on the mat, if he's able to get it there, I do think he will have quite a big advantage. I expect quite a bit of ground impairment from that spot as well. So I do have Sadikov, but I just think stylistically it's one of those fights that's going to bring out the best of Borsha. I'm going to say something people aren't going to like, but I'm going to say it regardless. Watch out for the cage grabs, the fence grabs from both these guys. If there are takedown attempts, look out. The other thing about it, Matt, you said in the last fight, I'll say it in this fight, you talk about how trippy this can be between a couple of strikers. I dug this one out of the archives. I've got a Doc Ellis Tops card. This one was made and designed by Matt. Read the name that's on there. Oh, I know. Yeah. Ring card girl. Brittany Palmer. Brittany Palmer. A phenomenal artist. Yeah, I've got three Brittany Palmer she cards. She has nice pieces. Here. Yep, she does. <laughs> but here her. in the office, and it's a Doc Ellis one who famously was able to just toss her a no-hitter. A wild game while high on LSD. So, Matt, when you do consider that and how hard of a, a job that would be, it's got to be a hard job trying to code the strikers. Hey, how wild are you fight. planning to get while you and watch When this? I look at this one, I also have Nazim Sadikov. I think the stance switches and the southpaw nature could be to his benefit. But again, that opens up the left hook to the body of Slava Borshev, who has liver punch knockout wins, and it also opens a body kick in Azim Sadikov that's one of his better shots. This is a point that I always go back to, just because it was a fight that I remember oddly well. I remember when Mark Hunt was at, like, the peak of his powers, and he fought Junior Dos Santos, and I believe it was even a title eliminator at the time. But when you look at that fight, the easiest way to break it down is Mark Hunt, one of the great kickboxers in the heavyweight division. Junior Dos Santos has mixed martial arts skills. He can take you down. He has BJJ. But what does he win most of his fights with? His boxing. And I think this fight does have some similarities to that. Now, 
GDS didn't need his wrestling, really. He went out there and boxed Marathon up. But I do think that just stylistically, this fight, more than most others, is going to give Borishev a great chance to win. Matt, a big-time fight. I expect the folks to be out there in the comments on this one. Let us know who you have. Both of us going with the Black Wolf, Nazim Sadikov, to get the win. This really sets us up well for this insane main card. The two title fights up at the top. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight and Apex, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. Putting strawweights battle it out in New York City this weekend. We have baby shark Tabitha Ricci two, two, looking to make two, it two, five two. wins in a row. She's going to be taking on Lupi Lupita Godinez. And for Godinez, she looked amazing. Unstoppable her last time out against Elise Reed. It's going to be another camp. Not a Titan Athletics or Titan MMA down the way. Well, actually, completely across the country in Vancouver, British Columbia, but she's actually training at Lobo Gym MMA with the cast and crew that you know already. Diego Lopez, Alessandro Costa, everybody's on this card. But Matt, the wild winding road that both these women have had for Godinez with the LFA, with BTC in Canada, for Tabitha Ricci, a little bit with the LFA, and in the UFC, it's been a little weird. And people, if they follow me on X... They follow me on Twitter. They saw what I did. Matt, let's talk about it. I I made a chart. I made a chart right here. I'll blow it up. I'll blow it up yeah. as we talk. I, okay. People will be able to see this. So we can reference it down here. But the people will see the graphic up there. So I've got talent of opponent and then the number of fights. Godina has had many more fights than the UFC. She's had nine. Tabitha Ricci has only had five. And Lupita Godina, the craziest part about it is she started at the bottom. She started at the bottom of the rung, shook on Jessica Penny, or near the bottom. I feel like I'm in the happening right now, and you just figured out the trees are the one responsible for she, all of this. She loses to Penny, she beats uh, Gomez Juarez, she loses to Carolina, and then we start to go up on a trajectory. Wow. Beats uh, Lukbunmi, she beats Carnalosi, she loses to Hill, she beats Calvillo, she beats to Cody, and then for some gosh darn reason, they go, hey, how about you fight Elise Reed? And Godinez just never... Yeah. Godinez, I mean, listen, the ink is always wet and she's got to sign her name on a piece of paper. So she fought Reed. She gets to win there. The trajectory of Lupita Godinez confuses the hell out of me. It makes no sense. I think that she's had bigger wins so far in her career. Not Tabitha Ricci, but she's... This would be a big she's, one. She's fought on this really weird trajectory to where in my graphic, you can see Ricci fights Fioro and then goes all the way down and fights Maria Oliveira, and then since then it's gone up. Pauliana Viana, Loma Lukbunmi, and Ariane, or sorry, um, her last time out, Jillian Robertson. It's gone up, again, a future title challenger, flyweight all the way down, and then it's built itself back but up. But I think that's why I like this fight so much, because it does feel like a reset at a higher level of competition for both athletes, which is really what they both need. Like, I couldn't agree anymore. To me, I look at it, Tabitha Ricci gets to take on somebody that's close to your equal. I mean, again, neither well, neither one of these women are in the top 15, but they feel like they are, they They're will the be, they should 20, be. I'd say. And when you look at a matchup like this, for Lupita Godinez, again, I always talk about the Garbat fight, the fights that she had with the LFA. Godinez, it was the boxing. And the last couple of fights we've seen, the boxing at the forefront again. Again, you're going to see her wrestling. You're going to see a little bit of the grappling. 
But when Lupita Godinez is on, she's really, really on. And with Tabitha Ricci, what was she? An amateur national junior Brazilian Muay Thai champ. She's a jiu-jitsu world champ multiple times over. She trains at Paragon BJJ. She trains at Can like she trains in Southern California with some of the best men and women that you're gonna find out there. And for Ricci, you look at her last fight against another Canadian or a natural born Canadian, Jillian Robertson, she's winning in the wrestling, she's winning in the striking. So Ricci, well, to me, has gotten better in the striking. Gadina's all of a sudden has really found that Goldilocks zone within her own game. Well, the thing about Ricci, too, is I think her offensive wrestling's getting a little bit better, too. Or just her wrestling yeah. in general. Not that her grappling was ever bad, it's at the forefront of her game, but I just think the addition of, hey, your wrestling went from being slightly below average to even average now does help her open up the rest of her game and those strengths. And I think the wrestling offense and defense for both these women is going to be the most important because I think both fighters are going to have an advantage in the top position if they're able to get into it but the same thing has to be said if they do end up on their back I think it's gonna be difficult in terms of activity as well because I think on the feet it's gonna be a really interesting fight if Cadenas is able to get on the inside of Ricci's range which is a weird thing to say right neither one of these athletes are big for the division I wouldn't say like Cadenas normally is the smaller fighter and she's going to have the size advantage in this one but Cadenas is boxing I think her ability Ability to land good, maybe not the biggest power shots you've ever seen. She's not Francis and Gandhi. That delayed left hook. It was like a video game against Lee Street that sent her all the way across. It was like she got hit by 10,000 ghosts. But that's the thing about, uh, that's the thing about Godinez. Sorry, had me think about Elise Reed, oddly enough. But for Godinez, if she's able to defend the takedowns and establish that boxing range, what is Richie going to do to get out of it? Because I don't know if she's a complete enough striker to use her movement and then somehow just capitalize all of a sudden with the wrestling. Now, I think both these fighters are talented enough to get a submission, but it's probably going to come in different ways. I think Godinez goes out there and gets a submission win. It's probably going to be later on in the fight, I'd say, after Ricci's a little bit more tired, whereas Ricci does have a little bit more shiftiness to her game. If she is able to catch an arm or a leg earlier on in the fight, I wouldn't be as surprised, but still, I think it's a really fun fight, because I agree with your graphic, and I think this is the fight that shows them going back up, right? This isn't fighting Manafiel Ho oh. again, but if you get a win over Lupita Godinez, it's a great win to set you up for your next fight, and likewise with Godinez, if she's able to beat Ricci. On my graphic, Ricci's been on the way up. She has been on the way no, 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 but it would be a massive spike towards the top, I would say, or at least a decent level, because I think if Godinez goes out there, this is a better win than the Jillian Robertson win, even though Robertson's the more well-known of the two, I would say. I would agree with that point. So, again, when you look at this one, Godinez is favored in the matchup to the tune of about a minus 150. Ricci, the underdog, she's got the longer win streak coming into this one. MMA math, if you want to play tinfoil hot. Godinez lost to Jessica Penne. Tabitha Ricci beat her. And Peter Shabalogs had two shoutouts this episode, and no one would have predicted that. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy twist at the end. Matt, we have a look at the top. All you vote. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say 62.5% Godinez. I oddly enough think Ricci's going to be the favorite. And she, I don't know what's going on this week. Upside is down and down is upside. 1,038 total votes, 68% Ricci, 88% by decision for the 32% that of Godina is 81% by decision. I think Godina wins in a boxing affair in this one. I, I, I really do think that training I, more than full time or spending more time down in Mexico, training with Grasso, Aldana, and the like, it's really going to help out Godina's. And again, for Ricci, all I can think of is, and it's, it's the bad thing. 
Five fights in the UFC, and I think of the loss against Minofiaro, but sometimes good. Ricci, when she's striking, it's fast and loose with the defense, and the hands can drop, and the head is there, and the body's there, and I think Adinas can capitalize on that. And I think Adinas is a decent enough defensive wrestler against somebody like Tabitha Ricci, who does have a black belt, not just jiu-jitsu, but also judo. That was the first love, judo. Writing in a notebook with a heart. Best I ever had. As the, as the you, judo. For me, I do have uh, Lupi Godinez in the matchup. I also have Godinez, but this is the weird factor I'm going to throw into the fight, and it's probably not going to matter at all. Godinez's probability to finish this fight is, I don't know, 12%, let's say. Like, she's probably going to win by decision, I think. I think she's going to use her pace, use her boxing, like you said, and probably win the fight that way. Richie's percentage to win by finish is higher, I think. I think it's like 22%. And maybe it doesn't matter in the end because there's not that big of a difference between the two. But I do think if Ricci is able to outscramble Godinez, if Godinez does find herself going for an ill-advised takedown attempt, I think Ricci could not only end up in an advantageous position, but just do enough with it to where Godinez has to have a really good second and third round, perhaps, to kind of make up the difference. So I do have Godinez for the completeness of her game, but I do think there's a couple trap doors there that could get her caught. The homework? Go back and watch Godinez's fight with Vanessa Demopoulos for the title in the LFA. Matt, a big time fight both of us going with the mexican canadian lupe Godinez to get the win matt some big time fights in this card pavlovich taking on aspinall that's for an interim belt brother you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fight name picks we always say let's get into it Picks fans, UFC 296, it's the great goodbye. And my fans, they've turned on us. They think I don't like MMA anymore, and they think all I am is negative. So guess what for the fans that are out there? I'm going to turn this video on its head. We're going to have a little bit of fun with this one. I'm going to do it like none other. I think Diego Lopez beats Pat Sabatini with a striking. There, I said it. I think Diego Lopez is where Pat Sabatini was two, three years ago. There. I said it. I'll start the video out this way because, Matt, when we look at a fight like this, folks think that these videos are just... Listen, they're just that easy to make. Go try it. But when you look at this fight, Matt, and I'm going down and doing the tape study, the guy with the John and Kate plus eight in the front, Diego Lopez, you look at the wins that he had on the regional scene. He goes in and he takes on Joe Anderson Brito. He's struggling, not just with the striking, but the eye pokes, the constant eye pokes. It's a technical decision win for Brito in a third round that's a 10-10 because all that was thrown was an eye poke. And ultimately, Lopez has to prove himself in the regional scene. He loses a close split decision after that to Nate Richardson. He's 3-1 since then. Wins over Kenneth Glenn on Hel Rodriguez. A loss to Mavzarevlev on four days' notice where, hey... There were people out there saying that Lopez won. And then he was able to go out there and beat Gavin Tucker, the great, representing Newfoundland as well as Nova Scotia. Matt, Gavin Tucker, he was booked to fight Pat Sabatini umpteen different times. I think times. that would have been a fun fight. They all fell out. But when I look at this fight, Matt, for Sabatini, we saw it in the Emirates fight. We saw it in the fight against Damon Jackson. We saw a long layoff. Then Sabatini poured it on another Brazilian fighter. And Lucas Almeida. Lucas Almeida. I mean... There are fish that can be out of water for long periods of time. I think mud like fish. mud fish, flying fish, it's out of water for a little bit. Can too. I don't know enough about them though. I had a catfish one time, got sick to my stomach. Let me tell you, I not like really a popular fish. fish out this way. I like haddock. swordfish. It's a haddock nice fish. or eglefin, as they're called in French. Cod's they're the popular a good one. fish. Cod's good fish too. But my, the point of the video is we're trying to keep this one <laughs> quick. Salmon. 
Shout out to all the fish species. <laughs> fish is really good. But Matt, when you look at this one, for me with Sabatini, we know how lights out the jiu-jitsu can be. Marketing. We know how good his resolve can be, especially after having the elbow dislocation CFFC for title sure. fight, rallying himself back in, stringing off a lot of wins, beating a Canadian in TJ Laramie. And again, against one Lucas Almeida, the toughest Lucas you know. He's the toughest Lucas I know of. If you look at that one, for the percentage that he was able to keep that fight down in the mat, Matt, four minutes and 50 seconds of control time in the first round. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, the other 10 seconds, he could have been doing whatever he wanted. And then in the second round, pretty well the entire time until he got the submission, it was all Sabatini. To me, I just look at it, Diego Lopez, we know he's the jiu-jitsu coach at Lobo Gym MMA. We also know how good he is when he gets the mat and how squirrely he is. You saw that against Gavin Tucker. Back too. And you saw it on the regional scene as well. I just think that Lopez is the better striker in this fight by quite a wide margin. That's why I have no one here. The problem I have with a lot of past Sabatini's fights, though, is the weakness is very easy to observe, right? When he gets hit, he doesn't react well. He might not be the most durable fighter we've ever seen. But on the other side, when he gets top position on guys, it does look pretty good. He has ground and pound. He he's got ridiculous ground and pound. He does a really good job of navigating his way through the guard he gets into really dominant positions he does a great job of using the ground and pound to then open up submissions so there is a part of me that thinks for as good as diego lopez is especially off his back and threatening with his own submissions if he's not sound enough in the positions outside of those submissions it might just be a case of he's just creating additional movement and it's going to help sabatini get that much closer to him and that's what worries me because when sabatini's able to get into those positions we don't really got to worry about him eating massive shots to the face when he is in that top spot with the wrestling so I agree with you. I, I do like Lopez on the feet for his ability to land some of those shots. It's just Sabatini is one of those games that is so singularly focused that once he's able to get it to that spot, it, it really doesn't matter what his weaknesses are. My, my phone's ring. Can you pick it up? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Hey. Hello. Hi. Um, would you like a tattoo? That's what I was looking at. Would you like a tattoo? Uh, sure. Yeah. Do you want one on your chest? Uh, it depends. What are you trying to sell me? Well, do you have a haircut like Kate from John and Kate Plus 8? I kind of look like a tall lesbian, but I wouldn't go that far. That was inappropriate. But uh, how about dream, believe, and make it happen? Would you like that? I, I think our mom had that in her bathroom at some point. Well, one of these guys has that tattoo on his chest. It's very aggressive. Matt, when we do look at the overall layout in this fight, and you do consider it, these two guys, I mean, very evenly matched. They're very good with their jiu-jitsu. It has been said time and again. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise how there to you. I think the fans are going to be where my head's at. I'm going to say over under 67.5% Lopez. I'm going to say over. And it is over 1,133 total votes, 79% Lopez, 60% by submission. Gee whiz. 21% of Sabatini, 75% by decision. Who do you have in the fight? The reason I brought up Laurie Markkinen earlier was it's a player who had really high expectations and wasn't good, and I thought he was terrible. I thought Laurie Markkinen was one of the worst players in the NBA and was Laurie's trash. Good. Here's the thing, though. Laurie's good. Like, a change and of scenery Sabatini can Sabatini is better, the favorite in the fight. Which is surprising to see, honestly. And that's the thing with Sabatini. It's just, it's one of those games where when he's able to get it into the right circumstances, where he does excel, it just does look so good. And I do think it's something you can build upon. The striking at a certain point before he was really starting to get clipped, I thought was making improvements. We yeah. saw more kicks involved in his yep. game, not only to the leg, but to the body as well. And I thought he was steadily making some of those improvements. And it's a case of if he keeps on doing that, I think he can win. 
I'm really sitting on a fence right now and I'm trying not to. I'm going to say Diego Lopez. I do think his striking is more complete at this time, but what I saw out of Sabatini, I was impressed by with some of those improvements. It's just, can he continue to get back on that path? He looked amazing his last time out against Lucas Almeida, made the striker his... Buddy made him his buddy down on the mat and got the win there. Matt, both of us going with Diego Lopez to get the win. Let us know who we have in the matchup. And if I really do hate MMA, would I make a handmade graphic like that for Ricci Godinez? No, you silly goose. Some big time fights on this card, Matt, including the two title fights are still up there at the top. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. It is a lightweight possible fight of the night. A couple of guys on some tidy win streaks. We got New York's own Matt the Steamroller Frivola. Three straight first round knockout wow. wins. Frivola finding that power surge. He's taking on God of War, Benoit Saint-Denis. Matt, the fans are going to be excited about this fight. If you look at it from Matt Frivola, he was a lieutenant in the U.S. Army Reserve. Benoit Saint-Denis was a first Marine infantry paratrooper in the old regiment that was the French SAS. So both guys military men, both guys with knockout power. Benoit Saint-Denis' first love was judo. Or maybe it was something else, but I think it was judo. And if you look at it in a guy in Benoit Saint-Denis, you knew him from fighting at middleweight, welterweight, super lightweight, and 155. That's lightweight, brother. And Benoit Saint-Denis has been able to carry the same things throughout the weight classes. Really heavy on his takedown attempts. This guy puts the full force of his body weight into it. This guy's tougher than a box of ram set nails. I'm talking about the ones with a little bit of plastic that you have to hit with a 22 shell to punch down into concrete. This guy's got that. And when you look at a guy like Matt Frivola, you might have said he's softer than Baby Shirt, but if you look at it, losing to Polo Reyes, hey, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. He got knocked out cold in that one. Beating Jalen Turner is pretty cool. And then going on this recent run's great. And oh yeah, by the way, that crazy knockout loss to Terrence McKinney in a few seconds. But overall, eating the one-two from McKinney, eating a big hook from a guy like Polo Reyes, that's enough to put out a horse sometimes. So if you do look at this matchup, Matt, both these guys can get it done with their striking. You saw that from Saint-Denis a little bit against Moises. You definitely saw it against... Where are those Bonfim brothers? Where are they at? Ishmael Bonfim. So if you look at it for Saint-Denis... If I can make a musical reference, it's like Ozzy Osbourne in the 80s. Like my favorite Ozzy Osbourne song. Flying high again! This guy's on top of the mountain. Matt Frivola is as well. And if you look at it for Matt Frivola, this is his first time fighting in New York since UFC 281 when he's able to go out there and get the first show knockout win over Potato Gates Ottman Zeitzer. I like it, Matt Frivola, a little bit too, Drew Dober. And I don't just mean that because he has the win over him, but Recently? think about Dober and his career, right? He was not a knockout artist whatsoever in the early goings of his UFC career. He was winning a lot of his fights by decision and losing a lot of his fights by decision too. But then all of a sudden he found this power surge and he became a different fighter. And I do think Matt Frivola has altered the way that he fights, right? He does seem to sit down a lot more on his own shots. He's much more dedicated to his own power shots. Like, just look at the record. It's absurd. But the thing about Frivola, 
Carvola is and always has been, I like the wrestling. And I feel like people have forgot about how good of a wrestler Matt Frivola has been throughout his career because you get so caught up in the early or in the recent knockouts. But you bring it up and I'm happy you do. Jalen Turner is a great fighter, guys. But what's he not good at? The takedown defense isn't all that great. saw that against Gamera. And was he able to land shots on the feet against Matt Frivola like he did against Gamera? Yes. But Frivola was able to consistently not only land shots up top, but do a good enough job defensively to avoid the knockout blow, get in on the hips of him, and take him down. But I just feel like people have forgotten that that's the version of Matt Frivola, that that's what at least I think of, right? I know he has the knockout power now, but I do think the wrestling is going to be able to at least match what some of the wrestling of St. Denis brings to the table. But the difficulty I have with this fight is, can St. Denis do enough with his volume if Frivola can make him pay with some of those power shots? Because I do think Frivola can make him pay if he does tend to stand in that pocket for one or two seconds too long. And if it doesn't really come down to as much of the grappling, is St. Denis going to be able to overwhelm him and at least use some of the pressure to get him behind those two black lines. Santini beat the brakes out of Tiago Moises, performs in the That's night true. bonus. He's got really good kicks to the body. He's got pretty good boxing. He got his ears boxed in where Vyacheslav Kisilov really wanted to see somebody just get put away against Eliseo Zaleski de Santos. Bad but when you look at it for Santini, I think the wrestling's better, which I think is a wild thing to say. But I think Favola's going to make it competitive. I don't think it's going to be like a going seven for nine. You know what I mean? I think Benoit Santini can finish him in the first round, the second round, or the third round. I think Benoit Santini wins this fight. I think he wins the fight, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as that. I just think Favola does seem to have the counter for a lot of what Saint-Denis does well, right? And like, he does. Saint-Denis is such a good wrestler, but Favola, I think, is going to at least defend them in a decent clip. I don't think Saint-Denis is going to just run over him with the strength. I think he's going to eat some shots as a result. I just think, yes, I favor Saint-Denis in a lot of areas, but Favola does have skills in what Saint-Denis does well himself. Yeah, we saw Favola in the exchanges against Armin Zarukian. That was a really fun fight. If you look at it for Benoit Saint-Denis, Again, if you want to go back, you look at it. He's got one no contest on his record. And you might go, okay, well, that's that's okay. Well, no contest could be due to the sticky icky like Alex Caceres and Kyung Ho Gong. Or it could be like Benoit's fight against Powell Akiliak over at Brave CF. And if you go back and you watch that fight, it's originally scored a TKO win for Akiliak, who's on top. The cuts are too bad. The doctor says that's enough for the fight. And then they overturn it and they say, nah, it's a no contest. There were illegal strikes out there. Didn't look like it when I watched it, but it got overturned to a no contest. We have seen Benoit Saint-Denis compromise there, compromise in the Elizeu fight. And if you look at it from Afri Vola, wrestling that got him to the dance, his boxing is so much improved. He was our 2022 uh, Most Improved Fighter of the Year. We had that on the channel. Matt Vola accepted that award digitally he said thank you so that was pretty cool matt so did kenny uh florence that was neat too but matt when we look at this one benoit santini matt frivola it's a very compelling fight the crowd's going to be amped the f up for this one santini's about a two to one favorite but you can't forget frivola's win over zaitar last year in new york that was pretty cool i'm sure the longo wyman and the crowd's gonna be, gonna be behind frivola they definitely were 100 we have a look at the topology votes matt surprised us there to you i'm gonna say over under 75% Sanctity. Ah, that's what I was thinking. I'll say over. Run the jewels. They would say, ooh, la, la, ah, ah wee, wee, wee. It is over. 1,210 total votes. 80% Saint-Denis. 66% my knockout. A lot wow. of people predicting stoppage on For both sides. For the 20% that are free bolus, 72% by knockout. So you guys, the fans, have the knockouts. Uh, I just think for me, you look at Matt Frivola and what he's done really well lately, it's been... Walking in with a boxing stance, it's a little bit more to the side. He's not as squared up as some of these other guys are. 
But for free bowl, it's worked for him. He's got a really long right hand that he can throw out there. He's got good extension on his punches, and he can set things up with a little bit of a jab. He can also threaten with the stance switch, because or not the stance switch, level. The, the level change, because you worry about him taking you down, especially if you're a striker. So Freebola's got those tricks in his pocket to where Santanese stands a little bit taller. He utilizes more of his kicks. He is a southpaw, and he tends to win out in some of these 50-50 striking exchanges. So for me, I do like Benoit Saint-Denis in the matchup but i think this is one of the better fights on this card i think it's gonna be one of those weird ones that surprises a lot of people right like if you're buying this like nicholas dalby against exactly. like you're not buying this pay-per-view for frivola versus saint denis right but Hold you're not on. gonna be sad Hold because you did because i do think it's gonna result in a really fun and competitive fight i favor saint denis that's who my pick is if, but i could easily see this going either way just because frivola and that dog in his style you're going to b-dub dubs or, or another establishment boston to watch these. pizza perhaps maybe Blackstone and Quebec City. The last time I was there, they were advertising these fights. And Dooley's watching the fights. Matt Frivola is 5-3-1 in the UFC since debuting in January 2018 when he got knocked out by Polo Reyes inside of a round. Matt Frivola then has had nine fights in the UFC. Seven of them have been on UFC pay-per-view undercards. This guy's cash cow. Good for him. He puts butts in seats and people get excited about Matt Frivola fights. So I can't wait for it. Both of us going with France's own God of War. Benoit Saint-Denis to get the win. He would vibe with Devison Figueredo like there's no tomorrow. Matt, a big-time matchup on this card. Uh, the next one, it is Andrade versus Dern. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Welcome to Fight Night Picks. We're going to break down a big-time fight at Strawweight. You get the former big-time champ in this division. It is Jessica Andrade, the future UFC Hall Double of Famer. Champ. She's going to be taking on Mackenzie Dern, the submission specialist. And when you look at a fight like this, you might think in your mind's eye, well, it's going to go one of two ways. You might say, well, Jessica Andrade, she's on a three-fight losing streak. Mackenzie Dern, she won in a fight of the night her last time out against Angela Hill. I'm going to tell you... This is the most cliffhangers from Price is Right fight that you've ever seen because right now Jessica Andrade isn't going, it's just, she's lost three fights in a row. They've all been by finish. Now, they've all been against very good fighters. Aaron Blanchfield, of course, at 125, and that was off a big win streak for Andrade. She gets knocked out by a big time counter right against Jan Jonan her last time out, couldn't defend the takedowns against the boogie woman. Tatiana Suarez. So now Andrade, who's got the striking, who's got usually the takedown defense and points, and who can get a submission win in her own right. Andrade, the former Bantamweight, gets a shot against Dern. And Matt, we haven't really seen Jessica Andrade in the spot. And by we haven't, exactly. she's never lost three fights in a row. And the last time that she had lost two in a row, she went on a tidy little win streak. So Andrade got her back against the fence, metaphorically and actually in real life. And this is a tough one. There's a guy who sends me a DM every time I make this reference. He's a big fan of it. And it always breaks his heart. Jessica Andrade reminds me a lot of Allen Iverson. And why do I say that? She's a fighter who relies a lot on her athleticism, be it not only with her offensive striking, with her takedown attempts. Like, Jessica Andrade is going out there shooting single and double legs like Chael Sonnen. It's a lot of single leg. I'm going to pick you up over my head and slam you down with as much power as I can. And it works. 
up until a certain point. And it has been a little weird, right? Like the Aaron Blanchfield fight, I do think there were enough excuses in that fight to where, hey, if you didn't look good in that, the next one's kind of the chance to get back on the horse and prove you are that top contender. But to see her get hit by those straight shots on the entries in the Yan Xiaonan fight was concerning because well, up until that point, she had got hit a lot on the outside, just waiting until her blitzes, other than the uh, the fight against, I can't believe I forgot the champion's name. No, no, no. Uh, oh, Wei Li Zhang. Goodness, I couldn't believe I forgot that. Wei Li was able to land those shots down the middle and really make her pay for it. But Andrade's blitzes, I don't think, aren't getting the same no, levels of respect as they once were. You look at the finish, the Andrade fight against Yan Zhaonan. How does it happen? If you didn't watch the fight, this is a clip. No, it's, it's, a, it's a cliffhanger. And of course, cliffhanger is the game on prices. Right. Andrade is doing that thing where it's really cute until it's not. She's chasing with that pawing jab. She's throwing four or five jabs. And she never cuts the cage. She doesn't cut the cage. So she's moving on a straight line this way. And Yan Zhaonan's turning away. So Andrade is doing this with her head out. And then Yan clips her with a right hook and drops her and finishes the fight. So for Andrade, again, the striking didn't work against Aaron Blanchfield. The takedown defense didn't work. She gets finished. The Suarez fight, I do consider it a wash. I think that Suarez... You know, on 115 pounds. Hopefully she can just be consistent. It's tough on any good day to beat her. We obviously remember the last fight that Andrade had, setting the strike record against Lauren Murphy. Wow. Listen, pitch black I don't do more than I thought. It'll get back to you. But if you look at those three wins that she had before the three losses, Calvillo absolutely decimates her. Amanda Lamos, a bigger, taller fighter, and you get her in a standing triangle. And then Lauren Murphy. We haven't seen that fighter in these three performances. She tried to do it. For a round, half a round, I guess, against Yan Zhaonan. We haven't seen it. Now, on the flip side, for Mackenzie Dern, we always remembered the poorest takedown uh, defense. And, wow, that's a sign of how good her wow, jiu-jitsu exactly. is. I, I think back to the Hannah Cyphers fight. Like She's not able to get the takedowns, but she does get the, the submission win. Mackenzie Dern, a lot of bonuses, really, for both of these women. But when you look at it for Dern... Three of her last four fights, they've been main events. A loss to Marina Rodriguez. She goes out there. She beats Tisha Torres. That's not a main event. Lose the majority decision to Yan Zhaonan in a main event. And then her last time out, she beats Angela Hill. And that Angela Hill fight, I know I say it's a fight of the night. It's one of those rarities. We had one earlier on this card. Erseg beats Dvorak. It's a performance of the night bonus. 30-27-2-29-28. That's really weird. Mackenzie Dern. 49-44 is out there, and it's a fight of the night? How is that? Because Angela Hill won one round. Round three, round five, were 10 eights for Dern. And in the first round, she's backing up Angela Hill and lands a right that drops Hill. Who is this Mackenzie Dern? I said this last week, getting ready for the Hill fight against D. Gomes. There's another weird parallel. SoCal versus PRVT. D. Gomes, where you at, bud? She wasn't able to go out there and beat Angela Hill. That surprised many, yeah. I think. But when you look at a fight like this, Matt, to me, Mackenzie Dern's last fight is one of two things. She's trained at Ruka Sport for a really long time. She's working her boxing against some really good men and women. But is that the Name and Gracie fight against Logan Storley? Is that, so. wow, your I, boxing's great. And then Name and Gracie, it was just a one-time thing. How do you beat the Jessica Andrade question? There's a YouTube channel out there called Sacred Base. Shout out them. They're really good. And they're doing a series called How to Make a Basket. And it's called The Story of Shaq and Kobe. And it's basically just asking a question of how do we make a basket? But hold on. And what's the best way of doing it? How do you beat Jessica Andrade? 
We have seen that she can be submitted if you can get her in compromising positions and really use your force to get on top of her. And when I say submitted, I even almost kind of likened the Shevchenko fight into that, right? That was a TKO, but that was a dominant position. She held her down, got it. So I just mean for entourage, we've seen her struggle off her back. So people have really dominant physicality, A, to get past her own physique, and B, takedown attempts, and B, good power, who could respond and land down the middle and really make her pay for some of those flurries. I don't know if Dern has enough power moving backwards to make her pay for the flurries. And you bring up the takedown defense. Her takedown offense has never been a number that you really wow But it's wow gotten over. better. It has gotten better. But I don't know if she has the type of offensive wrestling that can really make Jessica Andrade pay for having her hands up going for those bigger shots. If Dern is able to duck underneath. I know Dern's going to look great if she is able to get that one position. But I think this is a weird fight where you want to think, hey, it's probably the end of the road for Andrade. But I still think whatever she has left in the tank is good enough to counter some of the offensive during 14 bonuses between the two of them for Andrade. she has three bonuses and two fights against nami Yunus. one's a fight That's in the night up. where nami Yunus won and one's a fight in the night performance tonight in that slam bionics that's a good tune matt and i'll keep saying that forever when you do look at this matchup though mackenzie dern is a two to one favorite in the matchup open minus 180 minus 205 right now you have a look at the topology votes i bet you the fans are out in droves going with the favorite here i'm gonna say over under 75 percent dern it's gonna be over it's gonna be over and it is over 1237 total votes 80 percent dern 67 percent by submission for the 20 percent that i've andrage 52 percent by decision 34 percent by knockout matt dern's losses marina rodriguez was able to strike around the outside and get into that uh, really tough second round yan jonan was able to strike on the outside and continue it up and then the other losses to amanda hibas was able to strike on the outside so matt when it comes down to this one andrage it's unfair to say she's in that jose aldo bantamweight stage you're the oldest 32, 33-year-old at that point. And Andrade has so many miles on the odometer that this Toyota Land Cruiser from the 80s, we got to replace not just the transmission. Oh, I mean, we're talking about the bearings are squealing when they turn. So who do you have in this matchup here? Take the squealing bearings, I guess. Uh, I don't feel good taking Andrade, but I'm really surprised to see where the topology voters are, to be completely honest with you, just because I understand where the odds are that would represent that vote. But it's a Tony Ferguson fall. I don't think it is, though. I think Tony Ferguson lost to guys who were worse every single loss, right? And even in some of those fights, he was looking good. He dropped Michael Chandler before he got knocked out by him. Like, there were some uh, flashes. I just think for Andrade... I think she's going to make Mackenzie Dern pay for every moment they are as close as they possibly are, especially on the inside on the feet. Now, if Dern can get it to the match, she has a massive advantage and she's going to look really good. But I don't know if she's going to want to get herself into some of those takedown attempt positions and get into that range if she's just getting blasted by power shots every time. And I feel like I predicted a lot of Jessica Andrade's losses lately, but I think she's going to look back and have a win in this one. I don't like this. I'm going to close my eyes. She knocked out Carolina doing it. She did, but Matt, we haven't seen her from Andrade in a really long time. I picked her in all of her losses. Why not pick her in this fight? I'll pick Jessica Andrade too. In this matchup against Mackenzie Dern, I think the striking can win out. I worry as the fight goes on. I worry exactly. about the gas tank. I worry about the weight cut. I realize she's five foot one. She's cutting a 115. But when you used to be a bantamweight and you're very muscle bound and you keep getting older and you have a lot of fights, none of these things get And she's the only age. person who keeps getting older. No one else. 
I'm getting older too. I mean, Stevie, <laughs> just a weird thing to bring up. And they're Stevie getting Nicks, older. Okay, we all are. Stevie Nicks one time saying that. My, both of us going with the former champ Andrade to get the win. The fans, they can Nelson Muntz us in the comments. <laughs> They'll have fun with it, but some big-time fights on this card. Title fights, they're on the way. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fighting Apex, we always say. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Interim heavyweight gold is on the line in the main event, Matt. This one thrown together on short notice. October 25th, out is John Jones against Stipe Miocic. So in is Tom Aspinall to take on Sergei Pavlovich, Matt. These two guys, they're dominating the UFC countdown this week. They're getting all kinds of airtime. Pavlovich training out of ATT. Tom Aspinall, Aspinall BJJ with his father and Team Calbon as well. And this is the first time that the UFC title has been on the line in an interim capacity since 2021 at UFC 265. Siddle Gone got the win over Derek Lewis to get that interim belt. Matt, when you look at it, there's been interim titles in the heavyweight division for the longest time. When Brock Lesnar became the champ, there were quite a few interim title fights. There have been some throughout the history. So it shouldn't be a surprise that with Jones out, we do get this matchup. And when you look at this one, we talked about this one off air. Let's bring this conversation to life on air. How often does it happen that an interim title fight feels like it means absolutely nothing? It is kind of weird, right? Like, the last time I remember a situation like this was when Robert Whittaker fought Yoel Romero. They were like, hey, here's the title. And Robert Whittaker goes, so fighting Michael Bisping next? And Dana White's like, ugh, have you heard the main event of Madison Square Garden? We're doing Bisping versus GSP. It is a little bit weird that the winner of this is just going to kind of be, what, the 1B of the division? Because I assume they are going to do the John Jones versus Stipe fight. Uh, Dana White has said as much. I know I don't believe much of what the man says. Promoter going to promote. But uh, Dana himself has said another point that I do think is important, and it's, I don't want to disrespect Stipe by offering him an interim title shot. And I thought that was interesting because I did assume that, hey, Stipe's going to stay on the card. We will get uh, probably Pavlovich because like you had mentioned, he was originally going to be the step in for this. But it is a little bit odd that we are getting this matchup, even though I do love the fight. It's a weird fight in terms of this. Pavlovich could win by first round knockout like he does against most of these people on this crazy run he's been able to go against. The amount of power he can generate from up close and medium distance is quite absurd. But I think the footwork of Tom Aspinall, if he uses it, is going to pose at least an interesting question for a guy like Pavlovich. Because a lot of these more recent knockout uh, wins that Pavlovich has had are against people who are going to stand right there in front of him and at least go tat for tat with him with some of these shots. And I do think Aspinall is going to at least move his feet early on to try to maybe not avoid the striking completely, right? Because I don't think he's going to go in there and just completely out-wrestle him, but at least try to stick the jab and at least fight slow is what I'm trying to say. I think he's going to try to really feel it out early on. If you look at it, these two guys were supposed to fight back in October 2021. At the time, Tom Aspinall higher ranked. It was supposed to be 13 versus 15. Aspinall at 13, Pavlovich at 15. Now, it's number 2 Pavlovich versus number 4 Aspinall. So, the times have changed. Which is nice to see, right? I feel like there's always those fighters out there. They'll sneak their way into the top 15 and you think, hey, if everything goes right, they can make it up into that title conversation. And for both these fighters, luckily, they have been able to put it all together for the most part. And I keep saying, indefinite hiatus. I'm not coming back in January. I might not even come back in December of 2024. But guess what? Like GNR, the Streets don't change, but maybe the names. Wow. Matt, I could never understand how in the song Patience that it was two people singing the song. I thought, well, there's one guy that talks, sings, and there's one guy that really sings, and the guy that goes, whoa, I need 
Juju isn't the same guy. At least they're not like Millie Vanilli and they're not saying it all. Axel Rose range. But when it does come down to this one, Matt, there's a big X factor for both guys. And I'll throw a tweet that I threw up a long time ago about Sergei Pavlovich. And a lot of people said this. Wow, he's this vaporizing knockout artist. He's got some of the longest arms you're going to find in mixed martial arts, period. And behind the jab is that big right hand. And Vaporize doesn't even do it justice. That's that not, right hand as an uppercut, oh. as an overhand, Pavlovich gets it. He just does. But when you look at it, Greco-Roman wrestling is his first martial art, and you don't see it very often. So to the crowd that says, well, Pavlovich has that in his back pocket. We saw it exposed against Alistair Overeem. You saw the plum sweep in the clinch, and then Pavlovich is down on the Heavy mat. He gets finished. Case. But for Pavlovich, you look at the two fights recently where he's been able to show good defensive grappling. One, Abdurahimov, early on, puts those two arms out there. Pavlovich, really quick to raise them up and hit them and make them pay. Same thing with Curtis Blades. So for Pavlovich, we've seen little glimpses of the takedown defense, but we haven't really needed to see it because he's been able to finish guys. For Tom Aspinall, a big point, and they, they did it justice on the countdown this week. Tom Aspinall, you think of him as this great boxer. He had that long layoff in his pro career. He took a few years off. What was he? Well, he was a sparring partner for Tyson Fury. He wasn't Francis Ngannou, but he was a pretty good sparring partner. So for Aspinall, that's great. That definitely did kind of delineate him from the rest of those British boxers that are on the scene in MMA. But for Aspinall, the first love is jiu-jitsu with his father's school. And you look at the way that not only was Aspinall a jiu-jitsu coach and teacher, but you look at the fights that he's been able to have. The Volkov performance of the night that he's got. For performance bonuses alone, Aspinall's got five. Pavlovich has got four over names like Marcelo, Gom, Shamir Abdurakimov, Taito Ivasa. When you look at this fight, Matt, people, they might talk about the wrestling of Pavlovich. They might talk about the jiu-jitsu of Aspinall. We could see that featured in this fight. Pavlovich, the only time as a pro where I've seen it used offensively was his first pro fight. And you might go, Craig's had 19 of those. Yeah, his first pro fight against Alexander uh, Derivyenko. In that one, he's got the body lock. And just like Vitaly Minikov, for the kids out there, he was the best with Bellator. He was the best. And then he I went like away. Vince McMahon right now. Vitaly Minikov. <laughs> he was the greatest. <laughs> you look at Pavlovich. He goes in body lock. He's in front of his opponent. He suplexes him down to the ground. He then gets into mount and against Derivyanko. He's just doing this. It's all the people wanted to see Charlton Almeida do to Derek Lewis, but Almeida couldn't do it. The hand fighting was too much. Pavlovich does it. He stacks, and then he gets back down against his opponent, and he slams away, and he wins the fight. Pavlovich, I think, does have good wrestling. We saw the worst of it against Overeem. We'll see how it plays out in this fight. Matt, I do think, and again, Countdown's playing it up, but if you watch it, Aspinall... For the longest time. Guy's a heavyweight. He's 6'5", but he moves like a middleweight. Pavlovich moves like a heavyweight, but man, when he moves in that he's straight power line, like one he's too. so good. So it's straight line, hot sauce power versus Tom Aspinall, who can move out and around. I think Tom Aspinall is going to try to be a real slow burn in this fight. I do. I don't think he's going to want to engage with the power of Pavlovich early whatsoever. And I think we will see a lot of that jab and some of the movement on the back foot. In terms of, I always go back to this. I think it was great quarter advice by Henry Gracie to Brian Ortega. He goes, Brian... We learn from every touch. And I was like, oh, that's true, right? Like, even if you don't succeed in your takedown, even if you go for an armbar and you don't get it, you do learn a little bit more about your opponent. That's, something, you, that's, that's advice she'd probably give Lisa Ann, too. My point is, 
for Tom Aspinall, I think the longer this fight goes, it might not favor him in terms of, oh, he gets the knockout or anything like that, but it's going to give him more opportunities to download the game plan of a guy like Pavlovich, and I think that's going to be a really important factor in this game. Now, if he gets hit by three uppercuts in the third round or the second or first, maybe none of that matters whatsoever because Sergey does have that fight-altering power, but I just think, when I think about who does this fight uh, favor in terms of a five-round atmosphere, I do tend to side with Aspinall just in terms of, I think the longer this goes, it gives him more options to use. Uh, if you look at it for Sergei Pavlovich, he hasn't seen a second round since 2017, so it's Pretty been impressive. a minute. Knocked out Krill Sedelnikov, baby Fedor, over there. Uh, he was a champ with Fight Nights Global as well. For Tom Aspinall, the last time that he saw a second round, it was back in 2016. So it's been a while for these two sluggers to see more than five minutes of action. If you look at it, Matt, and you consider the odds in the matchup, uh, they're pretty much at par. So it is wow. a pick em. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us as they are to you. I'm going to say over under 60% Pavlovich. I think they'll be over. He's been on such a run. Oh, it's just, like slightly it. under, but they're close. So 1,004 total votes. It's like Brian Adams in the 80s. Cuts like a knife. Feels so right. 54% at Pavlovich, 91% by knockout. For the 46% that have Aspinall, 61% by submission, 29% by knockout. And you got to think, for these guys, they've had UFC main events in the past. You got to get your conditioning levels up for oh, five yeah. rounds. You would think, you would think... And Tom Aspinall's pops is just singing, like just shouting it from the rooftops. This guy, he's faster than the Walter Whites. He can do five rounds in a sleep. I haven't seen it. I believe it. I haven't seen it. Same thing for Pavlovich. So, Matt, for me, I'm going to go with the guy that moves side to side whose knee buckled against Curtis Blades. And if you put the tinfoil hat on, one guy is a Blades win, one guy is a Blades loss. But not all those things are created equal. I have Aspinall in this fight. I think the takedowns, the jiu-jitsu can play a factor. But for me, it's the movement side to side. And it's the pot shots that he's able to land in those exchanges. That's why I think Aspinall can win. If he can stay out of the range of the big right hand, I think he can get the win. It's easier said than done. So I'd like to know who you have here. I have Tom Aspinall, but as the words are leaving my mouth, I'm just imagining him getting hit by the biggest one-two you've ever seen. And then Sergey Pavlovich holding a gold belt over his head. So I do like where the tabology votes are. I like where the odds are. I couldn't agree anymore because both guys do have such obvious paths to victory. But I do favor Aspinall for not only the movement, I think he's a little bit faster to it. I think that speed's going to come into play. Both of us going with England's Tom Aspinall looking for the first English champ in not that long because you have Leon Edwards, Matt. A big time fight on this card in the co-main event. The main event, it's on the way. The light heavyweight belt is on the line. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. The light heavyweight strap is on the line in NYC, a place that Alex Pereira, Glory Hall of Famer, he knows very well. I mean, this is an all-timer fight. Pereira taking on Prohashka, as always, one half of your host duo, Craig Allen. Twitter and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective socials, Matt Allen FNP. And when we look at a fight like this, Matt, Prohashka wins the belt, the UFC 275. It's a giant come-from-behind win. I'll throw the scorecard up there. He was down on a couple oh. of the judges' scorecards. He gets that finish win over Alex Pereira's coach, Glover Teixeira. It's got to be awkward coming into this fight, but that was the fight of the year of 2022. Prohashka is getting ready for UFC 282. 
to fight for the belt. He's out of his plan about one of the worst shoulder injuries you've ever seen, so they say. And in is Blahovic and Ankalaev. They draw. Then Jamal Hill fights to share in Brazil for the belt. Hill gets the win. Then he's sidelined due to injury. And on the UFC's website today, they still have Jamal Hill listed as the champ with the belt. But this is for the marbles. This is for the real deal. And again, for Pereira, from 2019 to 2023, he has a shot at winning the middleweight and light heavyweight belts in glory and the UFC. Two organizations, two completely different sports. So a magical moment, Matt. I mean, I can't wait for it. And for Yuri Prohoshka, you've seen the rise. It feels like it's been since the 80s, but for me, it's been since 2015. online too. Matt, when you look at this one, I mean, Edward Rooney didn't know what to do with it. We've seen Yuri Prashkin. You look at it, I mean, with Ryzen in that 2015 Grand Prix, like we've got on the, the wall in the office here, he wins a fight against Vadim Nemkov, and then he loses to King Mo in the same night. He goes on a crazy win streak. He's won, what, 13 fights in a row. It's been an absolute burn. So he's had, and in the UFC, only three fights, one a year, so this is his obligatory one this year. He's been all over the world. Folks know him. GQ's done one of those what's in the bag type of videos with him. He's he's a marquee attraction. But Matt, in this fight, we know that Muay Thai is the first love of Prohashka. We know the kickboxing is for Pareda. You see him in the countdown. He's lifting not that heavy weights. That was kind of weird. He's doing like 25s and 45s on the bench, or at least with a bar. It's an Olympic bar, so that's 45 pounds. But when you do look at this one... These two guys complement each other so well, and that's why it should be a fun fight. I can't believe you just gave either one of these men any gym advice whatsoever. No, I just, it wasn't that heavy of weight. These are two of the scarier individuals you'll ever see in a cage. I love this fight, and it's a weird fight. It's deserving of headlining MSG, but it's not a fight that involves huge names, right? I know Alex Per is a Hall of Famer in glory. He beat Israel Adesanya, but these guys don't transfer over to the mainstream like our original main event was going to be. Yeah. It's not like John Jones versus Stipe. John Jones was on Good Morning America after a lot of the bad stuff had happened, but he just so happened to have won the title. Like, John Jones crosses over... Now, this fight, though, for MMA fans, I think this excites them as much, if not more, than the Jones-Stipe fight, just in terms of how good these fighters are and how exciting the matchup's going to be. But it is kind of a weird fight to headline Madison Square Garden when I think about it, that's all. It is, and when you look at it for both these guys, Prohoshka, the time away, again, I, I keep referencing that countdown, but if you do look sure. at it, we haven't seen Prohoshka for a long time, and listen, they, they've got him out there, and it's almost like when you watch Nacho Libre, and you got that guy that's putting the baby the oil eggs, on. they do nothing. On Ramses, and he keeps going, Ramses is number one. His arms are number one. His brain is number one. The UFC PI guy's like, yeah, like, you're number, you're, you're better at this. You're good at this. Everything's good. Like Everything's great. Heiner's just getting rubbed down by his trainer doing that promo the Wearing one jeans. That was weird. Nobody's going to get that reference, but it really did happen. That's an obscure one, brother. But when you look at this one, Prohashka, you look at the training, you look at the footage, you see him training at Mjolnir over in Iceland with Gunnar Nelson. You see him training at Jetsam Gym over in uh, Brno in Czechia. Or Czech Republic, uh, yeah, as it's known, Prohashka, it seems like things are going well for him. And when he's flowing, 
He's a hard guy to pin down. Now he's an easy guy to hit. So it's been seen. And I, I say that in jest and with respect. If you look at it for Prohoshka, a hard fight against Volkan Uzdemir, former title challenger, he's gone on an upswing, Volkan Uzdemir. You look at it for Prohoshka, his next time out, he goes out there against Dominic Reyes. He's getting hit. An athlete. And then he hits back, especially with that spinning uh, elbow. And then, of course, the resolve in that Teixeira fight as well. And that was the thing that I was watching, right? I'm watching all these Yuri fights in the UFC, and I'm thinking, hey, he's pretty hittable. And it has been a while since he was in Ryzen, so you go back and you watch the Ryzen fights. The problems are still there, and that is a little bit concerning. Like, <laughs> not the Fabio C Maldonado no. fight. He's beating the piss out Like, keeping CB Dalloway in two minutes, but a minute of that was CB Dalloway laying in a nice jab and backing up Yuri. It's just, he is so hittable that it does make you worry. And I know he does a great job of causing chaos in a lot of the success for his opponent, and that's where Alex could get caught, because this is something I have a really hard time with, and I don't know why it happens. I just, due to fans and how they feel about Adesanya, I feel like everybody glosses over the fact he just knocked Alex Pereira out cold earlier on this year. Like, it's a win that completely gets glossed over and a loss that gets glossed over too because, yes, Alex came out and looked really good on really, it was a short turnaround, not short notice, is what I almost said, but it was a short turnaround of fighting Jan, but you still gotta worry about the fact that he's not that far removed from such so a significant knockout loss. And the reason I want to bring up that knockout loss is, what was Alex Pereira looking like before that? It was all rolling. He looked like he had Izzy hurt up against the cage. He laid at the big knee. He looked like he was going to win the fight. He could get carried away and get involved in one of those sequences in this matchup where he lands a big shot on Yuri. He's moving forward thinking he's going to win. And Yuri, with those unorthodox angles, with the elbows, with the hooks, with the knees, he could be able to land one of those crazy, like, Ricardo Hamos, Eamon uh, Zahavi elbows. The wildest know? part about this fight, we did a video during the Pandy about all Yuri, the divisions, yeah, all this. the divisions, and we stacked them up, and we had, like, a March Madness bracket. And I swear to you, it's real. Go back and check it out. Yuri Prohoshka and John Jones on the picture, and we picked Yuri Prohoshka to we win. We have got caught up in the moment. We picked Yuri Prohoshka to win, and then he went on to continue to win in the UFC and won the belt. If you look at this fight, Matt, Alex Pereira wasn't even around in the realm of possibility. And now all of a sudden we're here. So when you do look at it for Pereira, again, you're going to see the win that he had over Mikhailidis, who's turned it on after the UFC. That's been a wild run to see if you want to go into obscure promotions. He beat Sean Strickland by finish. He beats Adesanya in NYC about a year ago, and he rallies back at the end of that fight to get the win. Exactly. He drops him. He finishes him. He also gets dropped against Adesanya the next time out. His last fight, we haven't talked about it. Split decision win over Jan Blahovic. I scored at 29-28, Blahovic. I also picked Blahovic to win I that fight. So it might be clouded that way. But again, round one, round three, you could say Blahovic. Some might even say round two. But if you do look at that fight, what were the big keys to it? Alex Pereira had altitude cardio, oddly, oddly enough. That fight was at Salt Lake City. Jan Blahovic after the first round. The cardio, it just absolutely tanked, and Pereira was able to pull away after the first round. I, so if you're going to make an argument, Jan definitely won the first round, maybe won the third round, but Pereira was able to pull away with the strikes, and the best strike that we saw from kickboxing to translate into MMA that Pereira has, it's not just the hooks to the body to the head, it's the leg kick. And the leg kick was the big X factor in that fight against Blahovic. We'll see if he's able to stifle the movement of a guy like Prohoshka, who is so movement-based. And when you look at the co-main event in Tom Aspinall and you say, this guy's movement's great, he moves side to side, he L-steps out of the way, he's got good boxing fundamentals. Yuri Prohoshka learned his fundamentals from books and DVDs. 
No, he learned it from standing outside of a chapters watching those guys at Dance Dance Revolution right across the hallway who were spending all of their paychecks and hours of their time on Dance Dance Revolution. Those guys, I mean, they would fit in well in 2023 where when you go to like Marshalls or Winners, any of the trifecta, the TJ Maxx Shout stores out. in Canada, and they have those giant, giant water bottles, they would have been buying those things up. But when you look at this fight, Matt... Pereira, Prohashka, Prohashka opened the favorite. He's the underdog at this point. Pereira now favored to get the win in the fight. And listen, we do this every single time. We throw it on over to you guys. We put it out there in the YouTube community tab. We want to get your thoughts on this fight. Do you think the fans, what way do you think they're going to go? I think they're going to favor Pereira. You think they're going to favor Pereira in the fight? He's coming off that split decision win. Yuri it's just been off. so long for Yuri, right? And I think a lot of people thought he was well on his way to losing that fight against Glover. Now, yes, he was able to pull out the crazy upset or not upset but the crazy comeback but uh it's a really well matched fight 1200 total votes today 56 percent going with alex pereira read some of your comments here we got seth MacArthur saying alex hasn't fought on uh, anyone like yuri give me the samurai david dasher is saying yuri has more experience more ways to get it done he feels like the obvious choice now i will offer up one caveat usually the commenters have the underdogs in these ones uh tamir is saying if alex gas is slightly screwed if yuri decides to charge pretty good cardio. his chakra and leave his chin open for the lefty then he's also screwed that's a really good point there from tamir and i'll go with one more uh joe saying yuri fights with his hands low and gets cracked all the time i don't know how people think he has a chance at all so matt a little bit of real talk there at the end. Uh, the topology votes, they're pretty well the same going with uh, Pereira over Prohashka. So make sure you hit up the community tab. But Matt, the fans, they have Poetan in this one. Who do you have? I also have Poetan in this one. I don't feel great about the pick, but this is a take that I have. And I think this guy would have been a big underdog and I would have picked him. I think Jamal Hill would have beat Yuri. No, hear me out. I do. He throws a really high volume, and he does do a really good job of at least staying in range of his opponent, and I just think eventually one of those power shots was going to land against Yuri, because he is so hot and cold in terms of he's throwing the craziest thing you've ever seen that lands, and it looks amazing, or he can be on the back foot and almost look uncomfortable on the feet. So for that reason, I, and I like what you brought up about the light kicks too, I do agree with that. I think Alex is going to use some of those light kicks to make Yuri a more stationary target. The one thing I worry about, though, isn't necessarily the overall grappling out of Yuri. It's he is the bigger guy in this fight. Like, I don't think Yuri could ever make 185. He's a big dude at 205. So if he is just able to outmuscle Alex in some of the clinch positions and those lead to takedowns, I could easily see him get the win that way. I just think the striking defense is too big of an issue for me to think he's going to win this To fight. me, you anticipate, again, this is at sea level. It's in New York City. You would think both guys are going to have good cardio bases. Both guys, they work that aspect of their game. And if there's no injuries and everything's created equal, Alex Pereira has that vaporizing power to the these two guys just like the fight that Pavlovich has I don't have Pavlovich and I don't have Pereira in the fight I have Prohoshka in this one I think the movement's going to be the difference maker now to where he ate a flush hook on the chin from Volkan Uzdemir and then stood there and kept going like this I, you're I not have, gonna be standing there doing this if Alex does that. I right? have Yuri Prohoshka, and if he wins, you're gonna see the wildest Twitter celebration, X celebration that there's ever been. So Matt, from the Ferris Bueller promo to me picking Prohoshka, I'm there and I'm about it. You're going with Alex Poetan Pereira to get the win throwing the big time uh, spears out there. But my, this is an awesome fight. We look at this card overall. I'll go over here. We look at this card overall. There's a lot of really big time fights. Again, there's 10 total ranked fighters, one debuting fighter and Kevin Borjas. You have some sophomore showings from some big time fighters like Joshua Van, who's in that fight against Borjas, among others. 
this does feel like one of those big time fight cards, oh, at least yeah. to me. Maybe I built it up in my mind, but hopefully the fans like this one because when you have two title fights, even though one's an interim fight, like it's not like they just have to throw these two together to sell something. These are two big time fights. Well, they're both stylistically fun fights that are going to be really entertaining to watch. It's not like they're throwing together two guys so you don't want to see they're in with each other. You have Pereira Prohoshka is going to be absolutely and, insane. And Aspinall and uh, Pavlovich big time Pavlovich fight. They were already supposed to fight a couple exactly. years ago. So and even yeah. like Matt Favola versus Bernard Saint Denis could be a really fun fight that people aren't talking about. Like there's a lot of fights on here that I think are going to be extremely competitive and really fun to watch. So make sure you check those out. Again, apologies for question mark kicks. There was no internet in the area last weekend, but we'll make up for it this weekend so long as people don't steal the copper exactly. the wires, Matt. Hopefully they can check it out. That's two hours before the prelims here on the channel. You can always find us here at Fight Night Picks X Instagram as well. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get, get into it. it.